Farmyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your... And maybe we'll make this a two-part episode since it's three hours long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll just invite people to get a beer and get some supper and have a chat. (laughs) They don't have to listen to it all at once. Raising babies and electrocuting raccoons. Language, and for only the second time in history, Katie and I are actually in the same place, and we have a guest. It's the third time in history, early. Okay, well, second time yeah. recording, okay. in recording history, yeah. Yes. Third time in the in our life, and we're back in the place where we kind of met for the first time. So we're in Madison at Dairy Expo, and we have a guest with us today. The famous Dairy Carrie, Carrie Mess, is joining us today, too. I'm not sure if it's famous or infamous, <laughs> Well, <honestly>. yeah. <laughs> Potato, potato. <laughs> potato, potato. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm cool with either whatever. So Carrie was one of our our very first guests, I think, yeah, other than each was. other, and was Katie's mentor when the podcast idea got started. So uh, it happened. You it mentored did. us right into existence. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the people listening are happy about it. No, I really love the community that you guys have built through this podcast. You're really filling a niche that um, was needed. Um on the dairy side, we have the Dairy Girl Network that kind of does some of the same kind of thing of how we tie, as women in the industry, um, all the roles we're responsible for. But you guys have taken you know some of that idea and made it not just dairy specific and and really um, connected with a lot of cool people. I love what you guys are talking about. Thank Good job. You. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Yeah, we're enjoying it too. And there is something about parenting as a separate facet of what we do right because for so many for so many of us the farm becomes central to our role but then raising kids and farming at the same time is is not an easy job as we all know I always think it's funny when people think that like moms who are farmers are stay-at-home moms and some of them are and some of them are I am not um, like, I mean, work with kids, mom? Is that, like, what, how do we... Yeah, working, yeah, working with, <laughs> with your children. Kids, right. Like, working two jobs at the same <laughs> right. time. At the same time. It's perfect. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Never goes wrong. But that's a lot of the, the listeners. Um, you know, I said women earlier, but that's not true. You have, you have people of all genders um, as part of the community. And, and that's why it's so important, because we got to talk about this shit. Yeah. So everybody knows it's hard for all of us. Yeah, that's right. And whether your kids are on the job site with you or are in yeah. daycare or wherever they happen to be right. when the work is happening. And we know that the work doesn't end even at the end of a daycare day. Even if you've got your kids in care, then you're still juggling all the things. All that, the things, all that the time. 24-hour day job can sometimes bring with it. I think, too, farm kids are different. Yeah. You know, it's we expect a lot of things of them that are not expected of town kids. And I think with that comes, I don't want to say an expectation of some of the behavior that we see from our kids, but there are things that are um, snuck by right. by kids that might be more uh, hammered down with town kids. Yeah. But 
you know, in case anyone missed Carrie's kid peeing. Like, <laughs> I mean, he got off the bus before he started peeing, I think. So that Yeah, was he but, got off the bus and made it like four steps off the side of the road before he dropped her out and had an incredible arc. That, that was really screen. quite impressive. <laughs> um, but I swear we live on a quiet country road, but his bus pulled off and he started peeing. I, suddenly there was traffic. Oh, yeah. Like all these cars coming by. Plus the whole side of the bus, I'm guessing. Well, no. That they were going the other way. Okay. They, they went. But then the Lakeside Lutheran bus came past. <laughs> the church school bus came past. And they got the full view. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm glad he made it off the bus. Yeah. That's, Clearly he that, had to go. That's an accomplishment. But I haven't maybe done a very good job about... Um, furthering like the modesty piece so ben was born and he has a birthmark that covers like half of his body so when he was born and we you know we're figuring everything out the one thing i said was like okay body positivity is we're leaning in on that but we've maybe done a little too good of a job ben has no shame at all <laughs> everything about anything on his body yeah. and um doesn't does not care does not care yeah. at all It'll come around eventually. How old is he? Five, but okay. I don't think it's coming. Yeah. I really don't. You've got, you've got time. <laughs> that one, not not. <laughs> not the kid mooning but, mooning people outside the the uh, the bus. <laughs> He's gonna I be just, that kid. If we're lucky, only that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Can't wait for that call. <laughs> so. So given the fact that we are in Wisconsin means that I left the farm again, which is a wild thing. And I know that a lot of people, especially in the ag forums, talk about, you know, like never being able to leave the farm. And I think that even the fact that we can leave and I have some both like not guilt personally, but guilt about the fact that we have the help to be able to do it. So I just want to say that out loud that I know that not everyone gets the opportunity to get away but you know like if there are times when you can right. you we know, talk about that guilt it. for a second though <laughs> yeah it's it's not just guilt it's also fear of being judged yeah that's too, true oh must be nice country. must be nice yeah you could leave must be nice yeah and then I say the same thing when I see other people doing things <laughs> that I want to do. Must yeah. be nice. Yeah, that, or even but, within industries, right? Like, right. oh, the crop farmers. Yeah, yeah. they get to go What away. were they doing this winter when yeah, it was 20 below? Yeah, <laughs> in January when all their water bowls are frozen and right. they, uh, they, yeah, they get to go on vacation. But, right. yeah, I mean, sure. Must be nice. It is. <laughs> and it is, it is nice. nice. But we should be happy for people right. that they have that opportunity, right? Like, right. Sure. we're in a place right now where we have older kids right. and we have good health. And right. we know that we haven't always been in that place, exactly. and not ever. I know not everyone can afford it, or are not in a in a physical location where there is, right. you know, there is a good employment. You know, like we we are lucky that we've got people that we can depend on. And my father-in-law is still healthy enough to be able to yeah, keep an eye on things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Feed calves and look out for sick cows. You know that Same kind of stuff. Is, yeah. yeah, we have. You know, we farm with my in-laws, but my mother-in-law's retired after her farm accident. And my father-in-law is still out there, so, you know, he's there. Some days he's wrecking more things than than fixing, but yeah, it's a, a body that, you know, we know will at least call the vet if needed. And, yes, that's And we right. have some really good help, and we're only 30 minutes from the expo grounds here, so it's really easy for us to buzz in on this, but for Pat and I, we both realize that it's really important for our relationship to take one night away like every six months if we can like twice a year if we can get it just one night 
away from mm-hmm. just the two of us. It's been so yeah. important. For well, when marriage. one night, two days, like if, when you're with your kids and your in-laws and your right. <laughs> everybody all the time, right. it feels like a long time. Mm-hmm. If you can get away, we yeah. Sometimes you know, spring and fall we do try, and often it's like it looks like it's going to rain for the next two days. Do you want to go somewhere? Right. And I mean, obviously it's you know like not ideal weather, but it doesn't matter. Like you can yeah, if you can get away for a little bit of time, it does mean a lot. One of the things I've we've noticed is like we have to leave leave mm-hmm. because even though we don't live on the farm, our farm and our house are separate. What we find if we're not at the farm doing stuff there and we're just at home and like trying to relax at home, we can't because we see all the things that we haven't had time to do yeah, absolutely. At, at home and it doesn't work. We, we have to be gone. Yeah. So yeah, that to, removal to from your workplace and your home is right. kind of critical for actually being able to fully right. let your guard down. And you know that too, Kate, with working your, your day job yeah. from home too. Yep. Like, I know. where's the line? Yeah. Does the line exist? The computer's, no line. The computer's right no over line. there and you can yeah. just walk over and yep. put in, a, put in another hour. Shut the door. Yeah. My desk away. is in my bedroom. <laughs> I can't yeah. I can't lay in bed without seeing the computer on and yeah. I know, though, we went away for a couple nights a few weeks ago because Jim won his concert tickets, oh, yeah. and it was amazing just to Must be, be nice. <laughs> must be nice. I hope it, it was, was nice. It was nice. No, I'm yeah. really about yeah. all no, of that. Yeah. No, the concert, it, um, everything. It was amazing just to not have anything we should be, be doing. doing. Mm-hmm. Like, the only thing that was expected of us was to eat and show up for a concert and show up for a plane. Like, Check. <laughs> that was it. And yeah. it was so, like, it's really uncomfortable when you do leave because you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? doing right. Where's my calendar? What's on my schedule? What's right. next? What's happening in 10 minutes? And you're like, nothing? Right. Nothing. Yeah, whatever I feel what? like doing. Or, <laughs> or I could do nothing. Right. What do you mean I could just take a nap? And, yeah. And I can actually take a nap without anybody climbing on top of me and saying, right. Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Open my granola bar. <laughs> Are yeah. your thumbs broken? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clearly. Yeah. A lot of the times when we've been able to get away, like I was speaking and so Pat was able to like come with me. So I still didn't even fully have that like total disconnect where I didn't have to do that, but it was still totally worth it just mm-hmm. to not, yeah, to be not be in else. our zip code. Yeah, it, I think any way you can hack it, get some time away from the farm. Mm-hmm. We have to, yeah, keep ourselves sane. Yeah, and and the getting away from the farm and the kids combo is extra yeah. stressful. I mean, I know that and. You know, when you've got little people, if you're breastfeeding or, you know, like if they're not sleeping through the night, it's not like you can just be like, hey, grandma, you like to be up 24 hours a day, right? So yeah. I know that, yeah, it's not always that easy. But once you're in that place to be able to do it, it's really and, easy. And a lot of times in farm families, too, like that older generation isn't able to yeah. take the kids. Or they might or be in the barn so that you right. can leave the barn part, right? right. So it's, yeah. Or they're just, you know, the age where they're not, mm-hmm. they can't keep up with little kids. Yeah, that's right. So. It is nice since our kids are getting a little older that they can go over to grandma and grandpa's a little bit easier because they don't have to be adults frequently do not think my children have to be picked up and carried nearly as often as my children, <laughs> children still think, think they, they need to be picked sure, up and carried. Yeah, but they're a, they're a little more self-sufficient than yeah. they were a few years ago. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah, it's definitely they're uh, they're a lot. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. We have a dinner we're going to tonight as part of the expo, and so the kids are going to get off the bus at Grandma and Grandpa's and go to bed there. We'll pick them up. I don't know if we'll pick them up tonight when we get home or in the morning. 
Um, but we were packing the stuff up, like, we are gonna stay overnight, and like, do we bother putting the toothbrushes and toothpaste in there? Because Grandma's not gonna tell them to brush the teeth tonight. <laughs> yeah. so they're gonna feed them six scoops of ice cream. They're not gonna remember, watch, watch and then if TV they get taken out of the bag, then you're yeah. just not gonna have toothbrushes exactly. at home tomorrow. Exactly, so. You know, sometimes you just gotta give up. Yeah, that's right. And let it happen. Let some things go. Right. Well, I think we are going to wrap up and go look at some more pretty cows. Yes. And uh, maybe do some... We've got some elite elite cow areas to sneak into. So <laughs> yeah, if you don't right. hear from us, we need bail money. We're in Madison. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got busted for sneaking into private, super expensive cow areas. Yeah. Uh, they're not private. No. Don't okay. give anyone a drink yeah. down there. If you pretend you want to buy embryos, <laughs> yeah. then... Uh... I could look real interested. For yes. Her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure. So thank you very much, yeah, Carrie, thanks. for joining us again. And, and guys, for the grilled cheese. Yeah, you guys have yeah. done a great job. I'm really proud of, of what you built. Thank you guys you. don't even know what a big deal Carrie is. She got, like, <laughs> fast passes for grilled cheese. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's really but... helpful when your neighbor works for the company that has the fast <laughs> yeah. passes. That's the lineup for the grilled cheese here is very impressive. It is. Good grilled cheese. We are going to ask you to go back and listen to episodes with Sarah Zastro. So she actually got to come on twice. So she is maybe our most popular guest other than Katie and myself. She's been here a couple of times and she is joining us from Michigan. So there was an episode early on with her while she was pregnant with her first baby and just announced. And then a second one where we threw her a podcast baby shower. So if you want all the parenting advice before you have a baby, that's the episode to listen to. And then we also have... Arlene, I'm going to interrupt Sorry, for our, our listeners because this is not a video medium, as Arlene keeps reminding me. Sarah is currently hiding in a laundry room closet from her baby. Um, I think there's a lot of dress shirts behind her and it's okay. very quiet. And she said it's cool and nice. Yeah. In there. Yeah. So, so the baby doesn't know that she's Enjoy still your time in, in there, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we're also talking to Kristen Kelderman, who announced her pregnancy to us on her podcast episode early on in 2021, I believe, or maybe winter of 2021, 2022 is when we talked to both of these ladies. And she was actually pregnant with twins. So it's her first pregnancy, but she got double the money. So she has two new babies and Sarah has one. And so this episode, we're actually talking to both of them about how life in the first year with baby has gone. And we have this interesting perspective of being able to go back and listen to what they thought it was going to be like before they had their babies and then the reality of what it was actually like. So I'm going to start with Sarah with our usual first question. Sarah, can you remind our listeners and us what you're growing? Yes. Okay. First off, thank you for having me back for the the third time. I'm glad to be the three-peat here. Um, so I am growing a baby, a toddler, a one-year-old, which is insane. Um, and then we grow corn and soybeans in central Michigan. And then we have kind of uh, what I consider our hobby farm division as well. So we've got some chickens and turkeys and ducks and pro- produce, you know, garden vegetables and that sort of thing. So um, we're having a lot of fun right now. I'm picking strawberries uh, every day, which has been uh, really interesting with a one-year-old on my hip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're having a lot of fun. So that's good. Growing chaos is um, the primary crop around here. Yes, that's right. And for the people, as Katie said, it's an audio medium. Can you tell us what's on your shirt today? Because you dressed on theme for us. I did. I was going to dress up and look nice for you guys, but I have a shirt that said, good moms say bad words. And I was like, eh, 
it's on brand, so yes. I'm wearing it. <laughs> that is perfect. Kristen, can you remind us and our listeners what you're growing? Hello, everyone. Yes, good morning. Um, thanks again to Arlene and Katie for having me back again. Um, I feel uh, so blessed to be here and to join uh, the uh, the most frequent podcaster here. Um, and uh, yeah, so my life right now, I am growing uh, twin toddlers, which as I can attest to Sarah, the chaos is real and it is rampant in our house right now. Um, but in both a frustrating and an incredibly beautiful way, I'm trying to, to see both sides of it. Um, outside of being a mom, I am growing my career. I have started a new position uh, that I'm really excited about um, working in farm mental health here in Canada for a new national organization. And, um, and that for me is just like really filling my cup these days uh, in kind of taking a step back from mom life and getting back to who I would say like is just me, Kristen, myself, um, and taking myself back to, uh, to pre-kid life, which is coming with a little, you know, some challenges um, now trying to balance and, and do mom life and career life at the same time. Um, but in my, you know, quote unquote spare time, um, I am also enjoying this summer getting back out into the garden and really getting my hands dirty and growing my vegetable garden, doing some landscaping around here. So quite literally growing some plants and and growing some, you know, gardening for me is, is kind of a, a form of therapy. So growing my therapy uh, through my garden as well. That's great. It's nice to have you both back. I can just uh, picture the the toys and uh, debris that's probably around your house at this stage of life. I don't have little people in the house anymore, but I definitely remember. I've been doing a lot of cleaning out my Google photos and <laughs> coming across memories of the kids at different ages and found one the other day of... The girl child, probably 14 months old, she had dumped an entire box of Cheerios out on the floor. My daughter and I play this super fun game where she, as she eats, she throws half of everything on the floor. You know, now and then she's done with it, right? So I get her out of her um, uh, high chair, and then we race to see if I can sweep it up faster or if she can scarf it all up faster off of the floor because. For some reason, food mixed with dog hair tastes so much better, and she was full in the high chair, but now she's starving suddenly as she gets to the floor. And I'm like, no, stop eating stuff off the floor. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much better down there. That's right. Doesn't it have yes, a different yeah. flavor profile, I think, right? Yeah. Wine, you know, when it uh, tastes more like the land. If you eat it off the floor, it tastes more authentic. And it's higher in fiber once it's got dog hair and there you God go, knows yeah. what mixed in. Um, so. It was a, a shock. So so I ended up with an emergency C-section. I was six days overdue Um, and they said, we're going to induce you on Thursday night. So Thursday morning, I ended up having a C-section, having an emergency C-section. And I just um, didn't really 
foresee that, you know, because I had everything planned and that was not in my plan, you know? So, um, anyway, that I ended up having a super long labor, prodromal labor for like 11 days, which, um, they used to call that false labor, but now they say, oh, it's not false. It is labor. It's just kind of very slow labor. So, um, I was in prodromal labor for 11 days, um, which means I didn't sleep very well for 11 days. Um, and so by the time labor came around, I was just absolutely exhausted. So I was in labor for about 40 hours, like active labor for about 40 hours, pushed for four and a half. Um, and then I was like, we're done here, folks. We are done. <laughs> Cut me open and get this shit over with. Like, I have never been so exhausted in my life. So, um, that was, uh, you know, a surprise. I had, for a long time, she was breached. So, I had sort of emotionally prepared for what would happen if I had to have a C-section. But then she flipped. So, I was like, okay, check that off the list. We're we're golden. We're in the home stretch here, boys. And um, we were not, in fact, in the home stretch. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that was, um, like not as difficult of a recovery as I had expected. Uh, physically, I was more sore from pushing for so long. And I, like my eyes were bloodshot. My cheek, like the hollows of my cheeks were bruised. It was really tough on my body. Um, but that was more from the pushing than the actual C-section. My C-section was great, really easy. The C-section recovery was way easier than 11 days of labor, you know? So, um, Anyway, ended up, um, you know, doing fine with recovery physically, um, but emotionally, uh, was really just rocked. So I, um, had always thought of like birth trauma as like, oh, people, you know, people can like die on the table and like people can, you know, hemorrhage and lose tons of blood and all these like really terrible things that could happen. Um, but I never thought of like, Oh, your, your body will be emotionally wrecked for a good solid week and a half. Um, good luck, you know? So anyway, I kind of, um, that was a little bit tough for me. And then I just had some wild, wild hormones and I, it ended kind of in the two week period. So they're like, Oh no, it's, you know, it's fine. It ended, but just some really scary thoughts and really scary, like things going through my head. And, um, my husband was in the field, so we ended up having having tons and tons of family over, which was really great. But also I definitely like put on a front when people were here. And then as soon as people left, it was a completely different story. So I think that it was good that I was sort of prepared for that. Um, and I'd watched some videos and things like that about like just postpartum hormones and like you will have some really scary thoughts and you will think about some really horrible things. And, you know, like I just remember we're going to really bring down the mood here, but it's all about reality. So I'm going to say it anyway. Somebody had told me that, um, like they thought they felt like they were like grieving their old life. They felt like they, um, it, they kind of felt like they were babysitting and like, when's this kid's parents going to come pick, pick it up? Cause I'm tired of this, you know? And I definitely felt that. And I remember thinking like, if something happened, I don't even think I would care, you know, and I was so tired and so exhausted. And I, I like fell asleep with the baby kind of like in the crook of my arm on the couch. And I was kind of breastfeeding her and like she had fallen asleep and I had fallen asleep. And my husband came out and he was like, Sarah, like, 
wake up, you know, like the baby's not really in a great position. Like this is really scaring me. And I remember thinking like, I don't even care if she dies. Like I would grieve that loss and I would, um, I would be over it. And I would, and then, and then I had that thought and I was like, Oh my, something is wrong. Like this is really not, not good. Um, you know, and so it ended up like, I ended up doing a ton of journaling through that time and kind of journaling everything that had happened with my birth and these crazy thoughts I was having. And, um, and, and it ended up kind of fading. And then after that, I was kind of fine. So, um, that ended like in two weeks after my birth. Um, and then things got a little bit easier and she was sleeping better at night. So, um, yeah, but that first, that first couple of weeks was extremely challenging. Um, and just really scary to like, think about what your body's been through, what your hormones are putting you through, that you're getting to know this new alien that's suddenly apparently your responsibility, even though it doesn't feel like that. Um, and I'm so glad, Katie, you had said in our first or the last uh, podcast interview, like, you're not, you might not feel this emotional attachment right away. And I did not at all. And that in itself scared me also, because I was like, what is wrong with me and this thing? And there was no bonding. And we had talked, I wanted this like golden hour so bad. And I was drugged that entire golden hour and I don't know what the baby was doing and I don't know what I was doing and I woke up and she was breastfeeding and they were like how does it feel and I was like I can't feel anything like I have no idea you know so it was a complete uh completely different from what I had envisioned and I think just getting um acquainted with like the reality of it took took me a couple of weeks, you know. And then after that, it was a lot better. And I started to get out of the house a little bit and started to exercise again. And I was doing journaling and um, it got better quickly. But that first, those first couple of weeks was whiplash, you know, really, really a lot different than I had expected. <laughs> I know, Sarah, I was thinking a lot about the baby blues this last week as we were preparing for the show and thinking about that I feel like we tell women that they'll experience the baby blues, but it'll be hard because you'll love your baby so much and everything will just be so beautiful. Yeah, that yeah. I first of all, blues is very understated. That was not the blues. That, that was like somebody, the depths of something. I don't It felt like an abyss, to, that's for sure. Um, and I don't... And I think in theory, really I loved my baby, but it me. was not an overwhelming sense of love and adoration at first, you know? And so I think that kind of caught me off guard as well. Like I said, I'm really glad that you and, and a few other people had warned me of that because then I knew like, oh, this could happen. This might be, you know, what happens. And so at least then I knew like, I'm not completely alone. You know what I mean? And so I think that I, I talk about this not to like scare new moms or anything, but like that might happen to you too. And that's okay. And it will pass and you will grow to love your baby. And now I love her more than anything else in the world. Um, but it, it was just so unexpected and no, there was no newborn bliss, no overwhelming sense of this is the best day of my life. Nothing remotely close to that.
I feel like for me that first couple weeks was a lot like, like if you see a mother raccoon with her cubs, like if you tried to touch one of her babies, she'd rip your fucking face off. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that she's like, oh, my precious <laughs> angel babies, you know. Yes, like, exactly. There's not exactly. that emotional connection to them where she's like, they're the light of my life. You know, she's just like, I'll fucking kill you if you touch them. I don't like them that much, but I will kill you if you touch them. Like, it's so weird that you guys are all muted and I can see you laughing, but it's just like dead silence on my end. Okay, cool. Anyway, yes. yes. We're all nodding along, yes. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling. Yeah. It's, we're with it's hard Katie. to do a four-way interview. <laughs> we're trying not to overlap each other. But yeah, thank you, Sarah, for being so honest about that time because... Like you said, I mean, some people do have that initial bond. They maybe have the labor they expected, but so many of us don't. And even if it's what, in theory, what you expect, the experience is still something you cannot really prepare for. There, there's nothing, there's nothing anybody can really say to tell you what it's going to be like for you because it's unique for every person it's unique for every baby so yeah every time it's going to be completely different and we really can't anticipate it and it's good to be honest about how it is for different people so that all of those scenarios are at least things that you're prepared for or or know that could happen so Kristen do you want to talk a little bit about your labor and first few weeks your uh, initial days of motherhood which probably seems like a long way away now, but absolutely <laughs> it was only a year ago. Oh, it does. You know, it feels like they say like parents, like time is like a vortex when you become a parent. It's both the longest, most arduous thing. And also just like in a blink of an eye, like passes by you. I completely feel that sentiment so real in my life today. Um, and yeah, just to start off, I just want to echo as Sarah I feel so many of those same feelings. Um, you know, motherhood in those early days for me um, was so, felt so isolating a lot too um, because you are just so encapsulated um, and probably biologically we're forced to just kind of put those blinders on and focus on keeping these little humans alive. Um, but yeah, I, I echo so many of, of what you shared. Um, for me, having uh, going into uh, having twins, I was very well prepared with my uh, birthing team and my OB that there was a high likelihood that I would have a C-section. And so I was very, I kind of went into it very open-minded. I said, you know what, I, I had, you know, kind of a rough idea, a rough plan, but also trying my best to just kind of go with the flow at the same time, uh, which for a type A personality um, was a little bit difficult for me. Um, we uh, we also knew that there was a really real um, uh, risk of that the twins would come early too. So twins generally um, are, are can, can come quite early on. So leading up to my due date was supposed to be the beginning of June, um, but already I would say like late April, May, I was already starting to kind of be like, okay, when's the day coming? When's the day coming? When's the day coming? Just kind of like um, kind of starting to feel some of that anxiety and because um, I was really uncomfortable. Like for me, pregnancy was not a cakewalk. I don't think that I was truly ready for 
all of the aches and the pains and everything that came with that. Um, and I would consider myself a rather like fit person, active person. I tried to stay, um, you know, throughout my pregnancy, moving around and stuff like that. But I certainly was not what I expected I would be doing. Um, I was very much less active than I wanted to be. But that month um, ahead of time, I was really starting to uh, anticipate, um, you know, just wanting it to be over with, honestly. And not the fact that I, I wanted to meet my babies, that I was so excited. I was like, I just want this to be done with. Um, so for us, I went into uh, one of my OB appointments and with the twins, um, they monitor the differences in the weights between the two of them. Um, and it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that uh, we had gone over the allotted discrepancy. So one baby um, appeared to be much bigger than the other and so there's a risk there and um, the way that my OB explained it was that it's better for babies to be out of mom's womb at this point and survive um, in the NICU than to stay with you and risk that. So I was induced um, at 36 weeks so about a month early um, and quite honestly the worst part of my whole labor was the induction part, was that night before. So I went into the hospital um, to be induced and then they sent me home uh, for that night and said, come back in around between six and seven the next morning. And so that was the worst sleep I think of my entire life that I've ever had. And uh, slept on the couch, had a heating pad, couldn't get comfortable, turned the TV on. Like it was just hours of just feeling like really kind of uncomfortable and crampy and whatnot. Uh, we went into the, um, into the hospital the next day and Quite honestly, um, I was a textbook um, birthing story. Um, I had very little, um, very little pre-labor. I did have an epidural. So once that kind of kicked in, I was like smooth sailing. It's like, okay, I can feel this. I'm feeling good. Um, and almost, you know, I... I am very fortunate. I know that there are so many stories and birth traumas that are out there. Um, and I was, I was fully expecting worst case scenario. That's kind of what I went in with. And um, the twins, they arrived very well. We delivered in the OR and um, it was almost kind of like this weird calmness because again, they prepared me that like, you know, baby one comes and if baby two doesn't come or there's some complications, like it can get hectic and crazy really fast. And there's lots of people and there's lots of stuff. So I was very much psychologically and emotionally prepared for that. And going into it, I was like, okay, like, you know, um, ready to experience that. And then it was just this like weird calmness. <laughs> and I just remember sitting there with my husband and the team there and we were just laughing. Like we were literally laughing in the, uh, like baby one had come. And so uh, my daughter, Eleanor, she was born first. And um, I was expecting like, okay, baby two, like, you know, pretty quickly after that. And it was 45 minutes between the two of them being born. And it was, again, kind of this like weird, calm, chatty, like um, the doctor was making some jokes and the, um, the anesthetist had come in to check on us. And it was just this, yeah, this kind of 
um, almost like out of body experience. And uh, thankfully my son was then born, uh, Knox, uh, 45 minutes later. And um, because they were preemie babies, um, I got to hold both of them for a very short time period. Uh, and then they were both brought into the NICU. Um, afterwards, my recovery was pretty dicey for a little bit there. Um, I went through some pretty like, kind of almost like shock symptoms, I would say, um, in terms of like, just like I was like vomiting, I was like um, really hot and cold, like kind of hypertensive, like just this really weird feeling. And that was something that really quite shocked me because I did not expect like afterwards, I'm like, okay, now I go to like my room and I just kind of relax and, you know, wait for them to bring the babies to me. Um, and I, I have no sense of time in terms of what happened there at the hospital. Um, but eventually I was brought to go and see my babies. And going into the NICU, that was something that I was not prepared for either. Um, again, I had, I had held both of my babies, but then going in there, being wheeled in on a wheelchair um, in kind of, like Sarah said, this kind of like weird, fuzzy, drugged up state and seeing these two tiny little like shriveled potatoes sitting in these like incubation boxes with all of these, you know, lights and beeping and whatnot going on, it was a little surreal. And I was like, those are my babies. And similar, kind of similar feeling, like that connection was that bonding, like, you know, from that point until, you know, bringing them home and all of that, it just felt very bizarre to me um, that, okay, this is my reality now. This is what life is like. And um, we were very fortunate that um, our NICU stay, we were there for three days and then got to bring them home, um, which quite honestly, I didn't want to bring them home. I was like, you're safe here. I know you're good. I have all of these nurses helping and, you know, feeding and changing and, and you know all the sensors and stuff are telling me that you're you're good um when they when they told us like okay you can go home now it was almost like this really intense like anxiety like holy shit i don't think i want to do this and um but hey you just kind of have to have to they kick you out right <laughs> you, um, you're not allowed an infinite stay and so we got home and i was fortunate my husband were you in there the whole time too, Kristen? No. Did you stay in or did you get discharged and we, then we're coming I was back discharged. in to babies? Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. I was discharged. Um, and so that first, the first night I stayed in the hospital, the second night we got to come home and then go back in. And then the third night we stayed and like did our test run with the babies um, where we had to get up and feed them uh, throughout the night. And they were like out of their little um, incubation boxes and uh and then the next day yeah it was uh it was real life <laughs> so yeah that, uh, good that, luck exactly exactly i i was very fortunate our medical team was incredible and amazing and i just wanted to like package them up and bring them home with me um the uh the recovery period for me, I was pretty thankful that um, it was fairly, I think, standard textbook. Yeah, it was, you know, there were times when I didn't feel great and whatnot, but um, myself, it was more the emotional, psychological side of like, okay, I'm a mom now and like still reminding myself that, hey, these are these are my babies. And, and similar to Sarah, like that connection that... Um, 
that maternalness, I didn't feel kick in and it kind of started to, yeah, kind of sit in my head and be like, I don't, I don't know if I like this. I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. Can I, can I go back? (laughs) Can I, can I return? Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really, um, you know, in it all. And it was a really, it was a really difficult summer for me. Um, so the twins were born in May and throughout that whole summer, like it was really, um, that grief of my previous life. I didn't anticipate that coming so, like becoming so difficult for me um, because I thought, and you know, the advice and what people told me beforehand was like, oh yeah, like you just fit baby into your life. So you can go out and you can do all these things and you can, you know, you can garden and you can go out with your friends and you can just, you know, cart baby along with you wherever you go, go to the grocery store. I was like, yeah, friggin' right. I'm not taking two newborn twins to the grocery store. Like as simple as a task as that may have seemed pre-baby, it was monumentous um, afterwards and to the fact where like it caused me so much anxiety and the I just I just wanted so desperately to be able to do some of those things again um, that it was really difficult for me um, that summer especially because summer you know is such a is the time that I live for. I I just, I love it so much and I want to be outside. And even just, there were days when the only outside time I got was, you know, standing on our front porch. And like, that was just, it was so hard to, to kind of feel like myself again. Um, And I remember I was very fortunate to have the support of our family come um, and help look after the twins. And my mom was, uh, uh, still to this day comes once a week to uh, to help out with the twins and um, those were the days when I would just kind of like pile up everything okay I want to do this 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 you know run errands do all of that stuff and there was one um, one day that I was like okay I'm gonna go to the grocery store and like you know spend some time there and, and do all that I need and I was driving home and by our place there's a golf course and um not that i'm a big golfer or anything um but it's you know nice to do every once in a while uh, hit some balls and uh and drink some beers but we i was driving by and i just saw these people out on the course and like the sense of just like that is so far away from my reality right now and that all those people out there are enjoying their time, they're in the sunshine, they're having fun, they're with their friends, they're socializing. Like I just felt such a pit in my stomach that I am stuck being a mom right now. Um, and that I really had a hard time coming around to that. So it was, yeah. Even the idea that someone would have like two or three hours of spare time to do a hobby <laughs> like that in, in that stage of life, right? Like just seems so, yeah, like you said, so far from removed from your reality. Like, like, how do you just golf? Like, how do you, how would you even like the logistics of that? Like, yeah, like if going to the grocery store feels like a vacation, something like playing golf is just like, yeah, completely (laughs) out of what you can even think about. Absolutely, absolutely. And feeling like I felt like, 
like an, I've never been a jealous person, but I could feel that kind of like negative jealousy coming. I'd be like, oh, how dare you go to the golf course? Like I like I want to go and do that. And like that was just, yeah, just really a feeling and an emotion that I'd never experienced before and something that I really hadn't anticipated to come along in that that motherhood journey that's supposed to be beautiful and amazing and bonding, um, which is, as we all know, total bullshit. <laughs> I feel yeah. like something it's so that, hard to think about. Sorry, go. <clears throat> something that gave me the jealousy so bad, and I can only imagine with twins because it's twice as much, is how much I took for granted things like going to the library and using two hands to pick out books or not having to wrestle a stroller out of the back of the car or, God forbid, when they get too big for the bucket seat and then you have to take the kid out of the car seat to take them somewhere. And I mean, you've got... You guys are both nodding because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you see people just waltzing into Walmart like it's nothing and just like looking at their shopping list without their baby actually eating it, which has literally happened to me. My child ate an entire sheet of paper one time while we were grocery shopping. I, you know, and just that irrational rage that people could just be out with their having slept, having showered you know, having socks that match whatever just out in public using both hands and nobody screaming at them and nobody judging them for whether their kid has socks. And, wow. Well, I'm going to go back to therapy because it's obviously just <laughs> yeah. opening a whole can of worms. Yikes. I think we don't talk so enough Arlene, sorry, about, and saying? I don't know. Yeah, I just was going to say, I don't know that we talk enough about, and yet I at times don't know how to talk about what you were just saying, Kristen, about the the grief of the life you had before. Because sometimes now when I go to a baby shower, like I all like I want to warn the person, but I don't want to be that person either to be like, soak it up because you're never gonna be this person again. But how do you tell someone that you're gonna turn into a new person and that everything is going to change you're not like you said you're not just having a baby and maybe some babies fit into your life or that's what we tell ourselves but I didn't have those babies and even the babies that do fit into your life you're still changing everything <laughs> to to make it look like they fit right and you're yeah you're not the same person anymore and and it's it's okay to feel sad that you're not that person anymore it's okay to grieve that loss and to realize that you aren't going back. It's kind of the same, you know, like you move on from high school or you move to a new place and you, you grieve the loss of those other things. But it's it's hard to talk about when it's your kid because then, you know, like we always talk about, Katie, then it sounds like you're saying, I don't love my child because I'm sad that something has changed. But those two things can be true at the same time. Well, and I, I think, too, for myself, I've changed so massively and in so many amazingly good ways. I am so much happier with the person I am now. But the growing pains of getting here and that it doesn't like the baby blues or whatever. It's not like it takes three hours and then everything is great. You know, like it <laughs> Right. It was hard for a few minutes, but time. now I'm all good. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter how good the end result is, it was still painful to get here. And that's mm -hmm. You know, and I, I feel like for me, too, it was kind of like when you get married and you stop, you know, like you spend however many of your years looking for 
potential partners or, you know, oh, that boy's cute, whatever, you know, because you're like 13 and then and then you get married and suddenly you're never supposed to look at another human again. And it's like, mm-hmm. even if you don't want another person, you've been doing it for so long. And I feel like having a baby yeah, is a lot the, the same looking was that, kind like, of fun. You're yeah, you're supposed to just drop everything and be like, I am only a mom now. That is it. And if you can't just like subsume your entire existence into six or like, I guess, 12 pounds of twins, then it's because <laughs> yeah. you're a bad person who is never happy. You know, mm-hmm. it's because you're ungrateful yeah. and not because yeah, you spent think... 30 years being a person just by yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I really do need to go I, into therapy. I, com- <laughs> <laughs> I completely can appreciate those growing pains, Katie, that you mentioned. Um, identity, I think, is something that we we don't talk about in motherhood and um, and in life in general, like who we are and what we were just so busy constantly just kind of trying to get to the next thing, trying to get to the next thing that we don't take a step back and say, well, how am I feeling and how am I doing and and what is this doing to me right now to pause and to say, yeah, maybe I do need to go back to therapy because this was not the experience that I thought it was going to be and that it has impacted, you know, me as a human being so drastically. Um, and it, I guess it doesn't even need to be drastically either. Like everybody has their own struggles within um, within that and how they cope with that. And identity for me has just been such a, a, a theme throughout my life, I guess, um, that this whole motherhood, like I almost resisted it for a lot and just kind of like not wanting to admit it that like, yeah, I'm a mom now. Um, but also still wanting to crave that community too, because I felt so isolated, Um, and not that the people around me or, you know, my family and my friends, you know, they were all so very supportive and wanting to, you know, see you thrive and and to help out. Um, but not knowing how to ask for what I needed in that time too. Um, because I was just in such a haze and in such a, a sleep deprived state and, and hormones and that, that feeling of just kind of feeling out of control, but still having to function um, to keep, you know, your your family going and these, you know, your yourself fed and all of those like essential things. Um, and the smallest little thing can seem so monumentous to do, like taking the trash out. Like I can remember just, you know, we live in a suburban neighborhood, so our, our driveway is like maybe 30 feet long, but it was like, oh my God, I have to get the, the garbage out today. Like, how am I going to do that? And just feeling so overwhelmed in a sense and, and not, yeah, not really recognizing that it's not about the garbage. It's about everything that's happening in my life right now. Um, and, and really understanding that what we, how, how to communicate in those instances, um, you're almost relearning it again, right? Because now you're doing it um, as a as a mom um, with all of these hormones coursing through your body and also, yeah, this identity shift and you're in a very fragile state because sleep deprivation is no joke. Like that 
can do some really wonky fucked up things to your brain that you cannot anticipate. I thought I would be, (laughs) this sounds ridiculous. I thought I would be better at delegating things that needed to be done to other people and communicating what I needed. And it used to not be difficult for me to delegate, to be like, hey, can you do these dishes? Can you um, do this? Can you pick me up some things from the grocery store? I didn't think twice about it. And then all of a sudden it feels like, now that I can't do things for myself, instead of it being a quick favor, it's a burden, you know? And so I didn't expect that things that used to be easy would be so difficult, not like in including things like getting the dishes done and the laundry done and taking out the trash and those sort of things, but also like setting boundaries and communicating and saying, Hey, I really need whatever three hours to go golfing or whatever it is. I, I used to be good at those things and suddenly I'm not. And I'm like afraid to even utter those words, you know? And so I don't know if that's hormones or the way that motherhood changes the weight of things or what that is, but I did not foresee me having an issue with those things. Like I was listening back to our old episode and I had talked about how I was like, already planning on delegating, making this person do this and this person do this. And I didn't do any of that. Like I had them hold the baby and I did all that shit, you know, like it's so funny to me how, um, like, like just how that was. And I think now it's getting better and I'm finding my voice a little bit again, but it's just so funny. Like I did not foresee that I happening wonder if at all. Some of that is that feeling of, and I think that maybe we're kind of similar in this way that the feeling of asking for help from someone you, when you have no idea when you'd be able to reciprocate, like it's easier for me to delegate and to ask someone to do something for me when I think, well, when they have a problem, I can drop off muffins or I can pick up their kid or whatever. But when you're in that mode of just surviving yourself and you're like, I'm asking somebody to do something for me and there's no way I could, if they asked me the same question, I'd have to say no. Cause I've got nothing left. Like <laughs> I'm completely depleted. So I wonder if that's a little bit of those, the feeling of the, the early stages when you've just got nothing to give back. So then you, then you do feel like you're a burden cause you're like, well, I, I can't contribute. I can't, can't do it. I think that might be part of it. Yeah. Because there, there's no reciprocation for those first several months. And even now, like it's kind of shitty reciprocation and it's probably going to be half-assed. So sorry about it, you know, but I think that that's a really good point because, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that's a really good point. One thing I didn't include in our list of Sorry, Katie. I just wanted to talk about something else. I was wondering, we hadn't, haven't, I didn't put it in our list of questions, but one thing that, that ends up taking up a lot of our time in those first few months is feeding, which is something we didn't talk about. And there's a lot of, we can, as mothers, put a lot of stress on ourselves about the whole point for a lot of, uh, a lot of medical and um, society ladies both willing to talk about how your babies ate <laughs> in the first year the first six months which seems to be a critical pressure Sarah do you want to go first 
Yeah, I can go first. I ended up breastfeeding um, Scout for the whole first year, and she had um, some dairy allergies, and then um, we had really bad shortages in our area. Um, and I am not, I didn't think that I would breastfeed for the whole first year, but it ended up being, so it was like $44 for a can of um, formula, and it was the little can. So that was like a day, it was like about a day a little over a day and a half for $44. And I'm like, I cannot afford this. And she didn't tolerate it super well. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just keep breastfeeding, you know. Um, but it was a, it was not an easy journey. I was a just enougher. I constantly was having to power pump. I would usually like power pump twice a week just to make sure that my supply was like staying up enough. And it seemed like it would, I would get it to where it was good and then it would dip and then I would get it back up and dip and get it back up and dip. And so it was a constant, constant battle. Um, and I had mastitis and clogs and she, um, at four months decided that toys were more fun than eating. And so I pretty much, um, pumped during the day. She would eat at night if it was dark or if it was, if it was just her and I at home alone, sometimes she would eat. Um, but I have a really slow letdown. So then she would get really frustrated. And so, um, we ended up breastfeeding and struggled through it. And there was a lot of pumping and dishes involved. Um, but it was, I didn't envision that for myself, you know, and so, um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm really glad to be weaned now. <laughs> really, really glad. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of pressure. What about you, Kristen, with two babies to, to feed? Yeah, so I, I decided um, pre-delivery that I was going to formula feed the twins. Um, I had done a lot of research and talked to a lot of other moms about their experiences and whatnot. And certainly I kind of came at it from my own mental health standpoint, knowing my own um, stress levels and whatnot. And I just, in my mind, I couldn't logistically understand how to feed two babies and survive at the same time. And certainly I know there are women that do it and that is absolutely incredible. I am in awe of them. Um, but for me, I chose to formula feed uh, pre-babies. Um, would I have chosen the same thing knowing the struggles that we had through the last year? Um, probably not. Like Sarah said, um, we had extreme shortages in our area and it was so stressful because I just assumed, oh, you need formula, you go to the store, you get the formula, you feed the baby, whatever, done. And, and like we said, going to the store is already stressful enough. That is so true. Exactly. Absolutely. And so... We, we struggled. Um, we started off the twins um, on the formula that they had at the hospital, um, which was a like a pre-mixed stuff. So it was great. It was just like ready feed, um, which was fantastic. And so um, they, we, as a recommendation from our, from the, from public health, uh, we fed that to them for two, two-ish months um, before we went to powdered formula. And that stuff is friggin' expensive. Like when you find it, you, we bought it. And I can remember going to Walmart over and over again and talking about asking people for favors. My number one favor was if you see formula, buy it, I will e-transfer you immediately. Um, and so I had like all of my family, friends scouring, looking out, um, on any store. My mom would go to multiple stores and ask and 
then they started to put limits on, you know, how many you can take. And it didn't matter that I had two babies to feed. I was one, I was one parent. And so they would only let me take one um, container, which would just, you know, be eaten up within like a matter of hours, if not a day. Um, so that was extremely stressful and something that I never anticipated. I don't think any parents did. Um, but thankfully, we we were able to still continue feeding the twins because um, I, I didn't nurse at all. So my supply like very quickly um, dried up. Um, and so I was like, well, what hat? Like, I don't even have an option here. Um, so on top of that, having two babies with two different needs, um, our daughter, she had some very significant reflux issues pretty early on. And being a first time mom, I had no idea. I knew babies spit up. I knew they were fussy. I knew they cried. Um, but something just seemed off with Ellie. Like she was just not comfortable, really like feeding was a challenge for her. And afterwards she was always just so just, yeah, frustrated it seemed. And, um, so through, a series of trial and error and finally, you know, getting, um, getting to the doctor and talking to them about it. We tried all kinds of different formulas, uh, to see what fit well with her, her tummy and her reflux and whatnot, and went to go and see a pediatrician. Thankfully she wasn't, uh, she didn't have, um, what they would classify as a cow's milk protein allergy, but she just had a really sensitive stomach. And so, not only feeding formula to two babies, but feeding two different formulas to two babies. Um, that was, again, a challenge that I didn't anticipate and something that brought me so much anxiety that like I would keep like stock, like we would have our stockpile of each formula and down to the day I knew how much we had um, and how much I needed to get. And so, you know, I tried not to get into that, like, um, you know, uh, fear buying and like stockpiling mode but as a parent when that's your only option to feed your infant like you can't help but but do that so whenever we would find it I you know I would try to get as much as I could and so yeah that was our feeding journey I am so thankful they're on solid foods now and we are um, <laughs> way past that but certainly I feel for all the parents out there right now who who do and are continuing to experience these shortages because you are literally have no control. Seems like a basic, and it is, it's a basic need. This, Yeah, it's been such a wild time for anyone who is, yeah, like you said, it, it seems this, this is something that our infants need to survive and that that was not available when people needed it was such a such a scary situation and I don't think that there were so many people who I mean if you're not in it you didn't have to think about it or it wasn't even on the radar right like it yeah you, know, you didn't have someone in your life who was feeding it was in it was in the news once in a while but if you weren't in the mom and baby groups on you know on social media a baby during that time probably lots of people didn't even know it was an issue but it was such a huge thing for so many people so in both of your original episodes, we ended up talking about stress and mental health. So Sarah, you talked a bit about the course of the past year, the first few weeks, but how do you feel like your mental health and your stress level has been kind of over? So the overall, I think it's been pretty good. I have 
um, a lot of help, you know, and so that helps too. Um, a scout goes to my mom's once a week and Zach's mom's once a week. So I have enough time to get some self-care in and run my errands and do a few fun things and stuff like that. And I'm good about like carving out minutes during nap time and after bedtime and stuff like that to make sure that I'm like um doing the things I need to do to fill my cup I'm a big person like I need some quiet time I need some me time and so just knowing that I have to prioritize that I think has helped um and so also I went to therapy and that helped a ton too just to like have somebody to talk to and I feel like there's so much judgment in parenthood like I don't I, I just need to get this stuff off of my chest. I really can't have a friend or a family member being like, well, why don't you just, or why isn't this happening or whatever? Like, I don't have time for that shit. And also I can't tell somebody something and then like fear that they're going to bring it up again against me. You know what I mean? And so, um, I was like, okay, therapy it is, which has been great. And I've done therapy lots and lots and lots of times. Um, and so I just, I think I did it for like two months and it was great just to get some stuff off of my shoulders, off of my chest. And there's a ton of other stuff happening with family right now. And, um, so I think that that has helped tremendously. Um, I'm just, mental health is always just a slow roll for me. Like something I have to stay up on. It's something that has to be a priority, um, or else things get out of control really quickly, both with depression and anxiety. And so I think that, um, I have a after the first little bit, so, so the first two weeks were really hard and then things got pretty easy. And then the four month sleep regression wrecked my world. Um, and then that lasted get for a long time and that, so at the four month sleep regression was when I went back to work, which was a clusterfuck beyond imaginable. And then we went into the field. So then we were super busy and I was like, well, I can't really like, like I knew I needed to sleep train her. I knew that, that for, I wanted to do Ferber. I knew that she's a kid who needed that and not that everybody does. And I know there's lots of opinions on that and that's fantastic, but I needed that and she needed that. But also how can you sleep train a kid when they're sleeping in a tractor three naps a day and bedtime isn't consistent, wake time isn't consistent, you know, so I felt like I had to wait till after harvest was over. So I ended up sleep training her closer to six months, um, which was a saving grace. It was, oh my gosh, I, if you have a kid who's not a good sleeper, ferber it up, baby. Like it, it, it was a lifesaver for us, literally a lifesaver. Um, and so I counted one day I was, I, in one day I spent seven and a half hours trying to get her to fall asleep in one day. And I was like, oh, this is why I'm crazy. <laughs> right? You know? Um, and so exactly. You can't, you can't. Oh, and you're working full time right now, you know? So, um, that was insane. And so, um, after, so kind of the first couple of weeks were tough and then it got easier. And then four to six months was rocky. And I blocked most of that out of my memory. I, I don't remember a lot of it. I know that going back to work was really rough. 
I know that harvest was really rough. I know that I was waking up uh, a lot. And then Ferber came along and things have been smooth sailing since then. Not that she hasn't regressed or we haven't done little resets or things like that. But um, that has sleep makes the world world of difference. And when you have sleep, then other things fall into place, you know? And so, um, that has made, I think the biggest difference for me. So just knowing that I need to prioritize that and stuff has been really key. And my husband has a lot of health issues. So part of it also is like, he can't really have not a lot of sleep either. You know what I mean? And so, um, there's a tremendous amount of like, uh, like, like same thing, like, why doesn't your husband get up with them? Like, I don't have time for that. He doesn't have time for that. That I'd still have to get up and pump, like, shut up. You know what I mean? And not that he's not helpful and not that he, not that men shouldn't get up at night with their babies, but in our situation, it just, that would have been way more difficult for, you know. So anyway, I think that, um, overall we're doing good now We're we, we hit our stride after six months. And I also think that like, there's something to be said when babies can reciprocate love, you know what I mean? And for so long, they're just like sitting there like a bump on a log and then they can hug you and run up to you and say, mama. And like that warms your heart. There is, there is something to be said for that in terms of like not only filling your cup, but just like that human connection, you know? And so I feel like now that we're in that stage, it's so much easier than it was in the first little bit. Yeah. That all makes a lot of sense. I know with the, the dad waking up with the babies, like I breastfed all of mine for the year and sometimes a little bit more. And it was like, so if he gets up, then the baby screams harder because they just want to eat. And I had to probably wake him up to go and say, could you go and see if you can get the baby back? Also, yeah. I'm going to have to wake him up three or four times for him to actually get <laughs> yeah, his ass out of so bed. So then I'm going to be mad. He's going to be mad. So the baby's the mad. <laughs> and now I have to pump and do dishes. And yeah. yeah. This is so helpful. Yeah, for everyone. So Well, and it's with, with as someone with two littles close in age, and I'm sure Kristen's in the same spot, that... If one wakes up and then you have to wake your husband up three times, then the other kid is up, the dogs are up, the cats are up, neighbors five miles away are up, and then I'm pissed at my husband and the baby and myself and the universe and it not being able to do yeah, everything. Yeah, it, like it's easier. It's, and it's really easy up. to fall back asleep then after all <laughs> That's that what too. I was just going to say. And when yeah. I'm at that mad, falling back asleep is not really an option. Now I've got to fight with my husband for an hour. I mean, it's just not worth it. Even if he's gone back to sleep, I'm fighting in my head. <laughs> Your field of education and yeah, expertise exactly. is also in mental health. Do you think that impacted you differently? Kind of knowing what to expect yeah or... now i'm googling divorce lawyers yeah yeah that's right call yeah googling that so Kristen, are you willing to talk a little bit i mean i know you're did that impact at all how you felt about your your stress level and your mental health over the last year I would say yes and no. Um, and in a sense, my my mental health journey postpartum um, was really up and down. And um, I certainly had some seasons and some time sprints that were easier than others. And so 
with um, with me being, I was still uh, trying to complete my master's uh, when the twins arrived. So what we had planned was that I would take a four month maternity leave um, and, uh, and uh, focus on the kids for those four months. And then we were very thankful that uh, my husband's work has parental leave. And so he would take the following four months I would finish up school um, and then we would figure it out from there, which did go to plan um, in some ways and not in others. And so those first four months um, of me uh, kind of being the primary parent uh, during the day and my husband does work at home as well, which a lot of people are like, oh, that must be so great and so nice, which it's great to have an extra set of hands, but also knowing that he has other, he's there, but he can't always help. Uh, he hears the screams, but he can't always grab a baby because uh, he's in a meeting or he's, you know, running to uh, to do the next thing. And so um, that was that those first four months, um, you know, it was just a lot of trying to under like to figure out motherhood on my own and. I really struggled with being that kind of self-critical person and, you know, thinking about like, well, why isn't this going the way that I think it should be going? And why are they doing this? And why? Like, I was always questioning, well, why is this happening? And why is this? And so many times people would be like, well, they're just a baby. That's what happens. And to me, that was not a good enough answer. I needed to know, to know which now thinking about it, it's like, well, there, that is the only answer really. Um, but for me in that, that mindset that I was in, um, it was just so all encompassing. Well, why aren't they sleeping and why are they crying and what is going on and why aren't they eating right now? And I always just had to like, you know, really, I had kind of this like tight feeling around, like I need to control everything um, because I want it to go this way. And we would hit a good day and it'd be like, oh, awesome. Like, finally, we're hitting our stride, we're doing great. And then the next day would absolutely go to shit. <laughs> like there was no question about it. And I don't know if it was just like the cadence of our days or whatnot, but Mondays for us were like absolute shit shows. I, it was just kind of like every Monday and I came to a point where I, like I would almost like feel that tension and anxiety leading up to a Monday and being like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like I'm, I'm not working. So I don't have that like work stress of, uh, of a Monday, but for some reason the kids were just like a nightmare that day. And I was just like absolutely spent at the end of the day. So we, you know, kind of, we get through the summer, we get to the fall and I'm like, okay, great. Awesome. I'm going to get back to school. I'm going to, you know, focus on that. And Tony's going to be, you know, taking care of the kids and that'll be awesome because I don't have to do any of that. And we start transitioning through the fall and it's just like, I had such a hard time letting go after being the primary parent. Um, and it kind of created a little bit of tension between us, I would say, because um, he seeing it now from his perspective, he was like, well, why don't you trust me to take care of our kids? He's like, I'm the dad, like I have the time I can, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was just kind of like, well, have you, you know, when the, if the, I was in my office, you know, doing stuff and I could hear the kids in, in the house, for instance. And I was just like, I would come out and be like, oh, well, have you tried this? Or what about that? Or, you know, has, have you changed their diaper? Have they had a poop today? Like blah, 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 blah. And I would just like start like ranting and going off. And he's just like, he would look at it and be like, you, you know, like, 
I, I don't have the confidence in him as a parent. And it wasn't that. It was like my own. I was like, why aren't these kids like, why aren't they acting how we, we, we think they should be acting and how, how I want them to be and controlling them? And so that was... Um, that was right around like the fall, the four month mark. And so we certainly went through the hellish four, four month sleep regression too. And with two babies, like, oh my God, like it was, we went right into sleep training. As soon as I felt like they were ready for it, we fervored it up. And it also Sarah, yeah, like I can't, I don't think I would be um, a functioning human without that. Uh, we sleep trained the babies and they, they both were, um, had the right personality for that. And, and we, we got through that. Um, but then we kind of got into this phase where the kids were sleeping and things were going well. Um, and then I started to have, um, some personal challenges, uh, with my mental health and it was, you know, looking back at it now, it's easy to look back and see all the red flags and the signs and whatnot. Um, but in the moment I, really was having a hard time um, with a lot of my personal anxiety issues um, that I had struggled with prepartum and like, you know, before becoming a mom. Um, but this was at a level that I wasn't, um, I hadn't really experienced before. And so I was really struggling um, with kind of racing thoughts and ruminating thoughts and not really being able to shut my brain off. Um, and, you know, that's, I think most moms can attest to kind of feeling that a lot. Your brain just like, you know, clicks on and it's always popping off about to-do lists and this and that and on the farm and whatnot. Um, but for me, it was to a point where it was really starting to affect my sleep and I was not sleeping. Um, but the babies were sleeping, which then frustrated me because I was like, why can't I sleep? My kids are sleeping. I finally got to this stage. What is wrong with me? Why am I not sleeping? You know, what's going on with me? And it was just kind of like start to cycle. And this really, um, I would say went on for about six months um, where I was on again, off again, um, mostly not sleeping through the night, um, just really having, and the, the rest that I did have wasn't, um, you know, restorative and good for me. So then the days were hard um, and I was trying to finish school and also be a mom on the side and be a partner and, you know, do some self-care for myself because I knew, um, you know, being in mental health and, and studying it and knowing all the good things that I should be doing for myself, I knew what I should be doing, but I did not have the capacity to be able to do that for myself. Um, which was also a frustration for me because I'm like, why can't I do this? I know this would help me if I could get to it or if I could find the time or if I could find, you know, quiet myself down long enough to just be able to do that, to, you know, to go for a walk or to, um, to, you know, eat a healthy meal or something along those lines. Um, so for me, um, those, the red flag really was like my sleep. That was something that I, um, I can't function without sleep. I've always been the, the type of person that I need my eight hours. Otherwise I just can't get through the day. And so, you know, after months of experiencing this, I was like, okay, I need, I need to do something. This can't go on. This is not sustainable. This is not good for anyone, including myself the most. And so, um, I met with my, my doctor, my GP, um, who at first we started with a sleeping pill, um, just because, I was like, that at least will give me some rest. And so 
after um, about a couple months of, um, of using that, which was kind of working here and there, but then I would go through a really difficult, you know, just kind of worrying anxiety spell, um, then the sleeping pill wouldn't work. I would wake up, um, I would go to bed, have no problem falling asleep because I was exhausted throughout the day. Like, you know, just dealing with the kids and all of the, the just life stuff every day. Um, at the end of the day, I was exhausted. So falling asleep was not an issue for me. It was staying asleep. And so I would wake up multiple times throughout the night and again, not be restful. I would move to the spare room. I would go to the couch. I would turn the TV on. I would, you know, try to read a book. I would listen to a sleep meditation, like all of the things I would just kind of like go through. And eventually at some point I would sort of doze off. But then by that point it was time to wake up and feed the kids again. And so, um, the sleeping pill kind of helped for a little bit, but then, um, it wasn't really a, a, a sustainable long-term option for me. And so I was like, okay, well, what's next? What can I be doing? And so throughout that process, I did, um, I was, I was journaling, I was trying to do regular meditations and some of that stuff was, was helping, um, and was, um, you know, good for me. Um, but it still wasn't getting to the point where I knew I needed to be, um, in terms of like healthy me and like really showing up as my full self. And so I went back to my doctor again and I said, look, um, you know, this isn't working. And I should also add as well that I did start going back to therapy, um, after having the twins too. And so that was something also that I, I knew I needed to do for my self-care. Um, and thankfully with my mom, she would come once a week. So I knew I would have, you know, an hour every Thursday that I could talk to my therapist, similar to like what Sarah said and just kind of like <laughs> unload and, um, and this was something, you know, the, the postpartum anxiety was something that I, um, I spoke with her quite a lot about. Um, and so once I got to that point where the sleeping pill wasn't really working, I knew I needed something else. I, I had kind of struggled with the idea of turning to, um, an anti-anxiety medication. Um, and for me, I know, um, being in the field of mental health, all of the good things that can come with taking medication, um, and that it is something that I encourage others that if it is something that you want to consider for your mental health, I encourage people and I know that they can be very valuable uh, tools for people to use in coordination with a lot of other self-care practices. And so when it came for time for me to consider that for myself, I had a hard time just kind of processing that and being like, well, why do I need medication? I should know better. I should know how to, you know, get myself healthy again um, without the help of this. And so through a lot of talking with my therapist about this, and um, one of the things that really kind of clicked for me um, was she, she enlightened me and said, you know, you're, you're taking a sleeping pill every day. So how different is it than taking an anti-anxiety medication? She's like, the sleeping pill is not working for you, but you still take like, but you're still, you know, using it. Why, what's your hesitation in taking, um, taking a different form of medication? And so, 
that kind of shifted my mindset a little bit to say, yeah, you know what, why, why do I um, have this kind of internal bias um, and the, this thought pattern? And so I, I took some time to really sort of understand my, my internal hesitation around that um, and ultimately came to the decision that it was time for me to consider and start taking um, an anti-anxiety medication. And I knew it is a process to kind of get yourself onto um, the, the right medication for you at the right dosage. So there's many different options and there's different side effects that you do need to uh, consider and understand um, and how your body reacts to that. Um, it can be a bit of a trial and error process. So I was a little kind of concerned about that being like, I know I'm gonna feel like crap for about two weeks um, while I take this new medication. Um, and I was almost, I think, worried that I would get worse, that I, but I was already in such a bad state of like no sleep and, um, you know, very little patience for everything in life that anything was going to be better than this. And so, um, I started taking my medication, um, that the doctor prescribed to me and, um, it was honestly the best decision that I've made for myself in the last year. And it is something that I never thought I would need or never thought I would consider um, because I do work in mental health and I do have good self-care practices and I know what I need to be doing for myself. But as a new mom with two young babies that have so many needs and we always put everybody before ourselves, those things, it almost seemed to me like I could see everything that I needed to do. It was behind a glass wall and I could not access it. And now having my medication, um, I can open up that glass wall and I can access everything again. And I am so thankful that I am sleeping, that I am healthy, that I am able to you know, start new things like a new job, um, be a functioning parent um, and be a partner to my husband that's not you know, completely at my wits end all the time. So that's really been my mental health journey over the last year and it's been extremely eye-opening, very challenging, um, but I'm really happy to say that I am in a healthy place right now. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's really important to recognize that even someone who knows as much about mental health as you do, that you still had that bias even kind of against yourself, right? Like that it was it was fine for, for other people, but you know, I'll be okay without it. But, but yeah, it's interesting to know that even that that lots of people can you can we can all talk about mental health but but it sometimes it's harder to to self-reflect and, and realize that that the help that we think other people <laughs> can access we also need to be kind to ourselves and and do the same things for us all right so arlene i'm going to steal your question um sarah one of the big surprises that i had sure. as a new parent was how hard it was on my body to care for an infant um, you know, I ended up with tendonitis in both knees from standing up from the couch while holding a baby post-C-section. Like, just that sort of random... Ended up with tennis elbow from carrying around a huge baby. And then ended up with tennis elbow in both elbows from carrying around two huge babies. Um, so knowing that your background is in exercise physiology, how have you dealt with this bullshit? Did anybody warn anybody about any of this? Because... I feel like 
this seems to be a common thing, but nobody no one warned me warned about, about anything what? to do with my body other than taking care of your hoo-ha after you tear. That's that's all there was. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah don't use toilet paper. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I think that um, uh, you had said in our first episode that there are so many repetitive motion injuries from carrying around babies and stuff like that. And that was the first time I'd really ever heard anything. I know that, like, oh, your back can hurt if you carry them around too much. And, of course, my pregnant self was like, well, I'm going to teach my kid to be content on their own so I don't have to carry them around too much. <laughs> yeah, like shit. How's that working out for you, Sarah? <laughs> yeah. So I think that in the first, um, like, little bit, super, super post-C-section, I was like, okay, I need to make sure that my pelvic floor is um, strengthening, that my, I had a pretty severe diastasis recti, so, like, I was making sure that I was doing my... Um, you know, my, uh, dead bugs and my clamshells and all that stuff. And I had a little bit of pubic symphysis issue. So I was doing my exercises and making sure that my body was getting back to where I was able to walk around and carry a baby and get up and down off the floor and, um, you know, not shit my pants in Home Depot. <laughs> um, but I think that, <laughs> um, <laughs> It sounds like an oddly specific. Uh, so, okay, I did well, not just, shit yeah. my pants in Home Depot, and I really debated <laughs> on making this a TikTok, but I feel like this is a safer place than TikTok. So, I'm going to I'm going to say it here, okay? So, there are few things that men will never have to deal with. Okay? First of all, putting their cart of lumber aside that they're buying for someone else to go to Home Depot, to the bathroom in Home Depot, to hold their infant on their toilet, on the toilet while they poop is one of those things that my husband will never have to deal with. First of all, it will be a, a rare day that he will be running errands with our child by himself. And his pelvic floor is woven tighter than a longer burger basket. Like, this is just not a thing that he will ever, <laughs> ever have to deal with. And to that, I say, fuck you. You know, come on, man. I'm I'm just envisioning your husband's pelvic floor being lined with, like, that blue gingham shit. And, like, I'm sorry, I'm dead. I'm, as, as someone whose pelvic floor post- direct eye and hernia surgery and five more hernias is more like a fishing net that has gone through a hurricane and then through like a jet engine i'm yeah yeah that's um, quite a mental image. Anyway, yeah so yeah. anyway um i totally forgot where i was <laughs> i just am envisioning my collection of longer burger baskets now and how i should decorate them for summer but um oh uh the body physiologically so after getting back to kind of like where I was being able to function, then I started thinking about like, okay, how do I need to strengthen my body so that I can put the car seat in the car and do some of the things that are like a little bit more, take a little bit more balance and coordination and stability and things like that. Um, and so I was just surprised at how many muscles you need to do simple things after all those muscles are moved and stretched and cut and all that stuff. So I think that, um, 
that was really surprising for me. Um, and then also just knowing what I know, like I know that I need to strengthen, to lift weights, to do exercises in order to be able to carry my child, you know? Um, and yeah, she is a stage five clinger. And so, um, there is no teaching her to be content on her own. Even now she's like, just loves to be held, you know? And so I think that at, you know, 26 pounds, it's a little bit different. Um, and I still carry her like in the, in the baby carrier or the infant, you know, carrier that you strap to you, um, quite a bit. And I think that I've now thought a lot about my body structure and how I, um, how I walk the shoes that I wear, how I stand, if I'm just standing around the kind of angle of my pelvis, which changes after you have a baby. Um, and that really can change the amount of pressure on your low back. And so paying attention to those things, um, has been really beneficial, but still like you hold a 26 pound baby for doesn't matter how long or like, you know, for a while and your back hurts. And so then what do I need to do at the end of the day or after I put her down in order to stretch my back to make sure that I'm not then overcompensating in other areas because then sometimes that can cause um, soreness and tension and issues, you know, where you're not even expecting it. So um, there's kind of like the, the chain of your body, right, that starts with the arches of your feet. And so if you're if your feet are, are too flat and whether they're naturally flat or you're wearing, you know, the dollar store flip-flops, it doesn't matter. Um, but that makes you a little bit knock kneed. It kind of turns your knees in a certain way and that makes your hips, your pelvic girdle, like literally fall forward. And then if you have a, um, a diastasis recti or you have uh, low back issues or you have different things going on with your core, then that exacerbates all those issues. So part of it is like, well, throw your dollar store flip-flops away and buy yourself a pair of Birkenstocks and pay attention to how you're standing and pay attention to your body structure or your body's um, stature. And so that these problems that are just a little bit of soreness here and there don't turn into big major issues. And so paying attention to that has been really helpful. And then also now I do a lot of back, um, uh, weightlifting exercises. Like I never had like back day before, but now I do, you know? And so I think that that's important too, that as your baby grows and gets heavier, you are making sure that you're being proactive on the muscular front to be able to support your stage five clinger as she hits 30 and 40 and 50 pounds. And the pesky thing about babies is that the the 26 pound baby doesn't just sit in your arms like the, you know, the, the 10 pound one did, right? Like they're twisting and turning and reaching for things and then they want down and then they want back up right again, right away. So yeah, the, it's not just the weight, but the, yeah, the movement and the, the way that you're carrying. Absolutely. And I then carry her on my left side so that I can do things with my right hand, which then causes a whole other boatload of issues. You know, if I'm doing that too much or depending on what I'm doing for that day, you know, um, and so paying attention to that as well has been really, uh, interesting, I would say. I'm, I'm really going to put forward too that we should rename these things and change our expectations around them because as I found out too the tendonitis behind your kneecaps has some name like washerwoman's knee or housewife's knee or some goddamn you know one of them's like washerwoman's elbow and housewife's knee and 
And then if you're me and you have to get cortisone shots because you're an old mom and now you have to get cortisone shots in your elbows because you had two huge ass kids who both need to be dragged around everywhere. And it's just like, it should be called like bad bitch knee, like something cool. Like I agree. It should be like, and I don't know if you guys know this, but they warn you that your ligaments get loose during pregnancy, but nobody reminds you that there are ligaments in your knees and like in your elbows and shoulders and shit. And that all of those got loose too. And they might like, not tighten back up this is in the same way that they were before. The like probably not. Mm-hmm. Things that are supposed to be loose will now be tight. And anything that used to be tight will now be loose. <laughs> Except a few random things, which you will find out about at some point later. I agree. That should be called, like, bad bitch syndrome or something like that. Yes. Yes. Give it a cool So now that we've talked about Sarah's husband's uh, pelvic floor, I'm going to go into my question about uh, relationships and how your marriage has changed in the last year. So what has their adjustment to fatherhood been like? Sarah, I remember one of the things you were looking forward to was seeing your husband become a dad. So I'm also wondering about the good things that have happened in your relationship, not just the fights that have happened in the last year. So how, how have you seen your relationship? So Zach went in and... pretty confident. He's got brothers who are 10 and 13 years younger. So he was kind of like, no, I'm good with babies. Like, I'm good with diapers. I got got this in the bag. And he was quickly humbled uh, quickly humbled. So that was, um, enjoyable for me to see. Um, <laughs> so, but I think that it took him a while, same thing to, to bond with her. He did have the experience of like, this is the best day of my life. This is the most beautiful experience I've ever had. Um, but then I think that he got really scared. And part of it was because then he spent two weeks in the field where he didn't, really see us that much and didn't really interact with her and then it was like well wait you know everything about her and everything to do and I saw her one time two weeks ago what do I do now you know and so I feel like that was challenging to have her at the beginning of planting season um and then it it took them a while to bond which I do think is normal I've had several friends I've actually had six friends have babies in the last year um well since the beginning of the year so the last six months really so I think that that's pretty normal um to see and then that was a little bit challenging too because I would be like "Do, do this do that do this do that and he um, it was like, I don't, I don't know what to do or how to do it or anything like that. And I was like, I thought you were Mr. Confident coming into this thing, you know? So I think that overall parenting together has been interesting, challenging, beautiful. You know, it's fun to watch him become a dad and fun to watch like their relationship flourish and now they have so much fun together and it's hilarious. Um, but our relationship in general, I feel like Ours is a little bit different, too, because Zach was having so many health issues up until a couple of months ago. So now he's, like, feeling good and motivated for the first time in three years. And I'm like, okay, but it's 1030. Like, can you come in the house? Like, (laughs) I haven't seen you all day, you know. So that has been a welcomed change of pace from me doing everything to him suddenly, like, 
feeling good and doing things again. Um, but I think that there just takes a lot of communication and we have a lot of like family involved in our farm and stuff like that. So we try to stay on the same page, um, pretty regularly, but then with a newborn, of course, that's not as easy or he says something and I'm sleeping or half sleeping or, you know, um, exhausted and vice versa. So I think that that has been a little bit challenging, just reestablishing the priority of communication, um, has been really tough. And so I think that now we're like in a good system, a good rhythm and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there were definitely some growing pains through that. And also like the whole, like, mothers just basically take on the entire emotional load and burden of the logistics of children um has just been something on my mind a lot lately you know what I mean and like part of it we very much have our own domains right like um his domain is the farm and my domain is everything else, which actually he does a lot more at the farm than everything else. So I feel like it was always kind of balanced, but now it's kind of not balanced, you know? So part of this is also like me encouraging him to take over, to reclaim or to take responsibility for certain things that had previously been on my plate is like, you got to step up to the plate here, bud, you know? And so he's more than happy to do it, but I've definitely feel like that took a little bit of handholding and a little bit of like encouragement and, and building up his confidence. I would say it was almost like he didn't feel like he could do things. He didn't feel like he knew what to do or he could do it as good as me. Right. Cause mom is always does everything best. And so part of that was like, nope, it's going to be dad's thing now and dad can do it best also, you know? And so, um, I think that that is, is important that we did that because it makes a big difference now. Um, and for a while when he was not feeling good, that was really tough because I was basically taking care of him and me and the baby and the house and everything else and working and everything else. And so that, um, was really challenging now that he's feeling better though. It's, it's been a good changeover and I feel like in some ways farm families have to do that every every season multiple seasons when you're done with harvest there kind of needs to be that okay now that you're done you know working so such long hours here's a few things that you need to take into your zone of responsibility um, because it can really easily be you find yourself at Christmas time still doing everything and you're like, wait, you're no longer working 16 hours. So step up to the plate here, bud. Um, so I feel like just having that reset has been really helpful. And I have to remind myself of that, you know, a few, a few times a year. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way on the farm. So that should carry over into the rest of looking at it. That seasonality doesn't doesn't mean that we all have the same responsibilities all the time of our lives right where it's like okay yeah think yeah things are a little bit easier on your end so yeah let's let's shift some of the so some of the jobs or let's look again at who's responsible for what and and who gets to do which jobs Kristen, you alluded it to it a little bit already but how do you feel like your marriage and relationship has changed in the last year and how has your your partner adjusted to being a dad of two yeah, so I, I want to take just a quick little step back to say that, Sarah, I need you to come and do like a physical body consult for me because the havoc that these twins have like on my body, 
Oh my goodness. You think that like, yeah, you, you recover from after birth and it's like, okay, yep, now I'm back to myself. Oh my God. Like carrying around two 25 pound kids because I do carry both of them at the same time. It's the most efficient because I'm not going up and down the stairs multiple times. Ain't nobody got time for that. I have definitely noticed that that change in my physical body and like yeah Katie said being like an old mom I'm not in my 20 like early 20s and like can't just like whip up and do these things anymore I have had this issue with my thumb like it's called like mom thumb or something of oh course or bad bitch thumb right Katie yeah, but yes exactly yes bad bitch thumb that's what we're called I had forgotten about the fucking <laughs> I did not mom even know thumb. Mom thumb. Thank was a you thing. for that, Kristen. Speaking I... of cortisone shots, <laughs> yeah, also yeah. Mom yeah, I was just like, yeah. It's and it's so stupid because it's like, oh, my badge of honor, <laughs> my mom thumb. Right? Yes, exactly. Cool. <laughs> it it feels like it belongs in the same place that when I found out I was having a C-section with the first baby and I was a little like, not upset, but just like back footed because same as Sarah, I had, I had a whole birth plan mm -hmm. and a C-section was not on it. And the nurse, this sweet young thing, she's like 19 and she's real cute, you know, and I was 35 when my daughter was born and the nurse goes, well, don't worry. They do C-section so low now. You'll still be able to wear a bikini. And it was like, what are you going to do about the rest of me, though? <laughs> like, like, honey, a scar would never stop me from wearing a bathing suit. And, like, fine if it does. Like, fine if you're not comfortable with that. But the rest of my existence would stop me from wearing a bikini and not even in like a body shaming way but in a like I have a hard enough time not flashing people wearing a like neck high one piece like it's just not a thing and then they're like oh and you got tendonitis in your thumb and it's called mm -hmm. mom's thumb yeah. fuck off just just fuck off with that like no I refuse to yeah yeah that's this. my my that's bad bitch my thumb life. is my badge of honor from I having two babies up. like this is, it's, yeah, it's like the epitome of like, I feel like it's like the worst thing, like the, the suckiest injury. I'm like, my thumb hurts. Like, I feel like I'm being a whiny baby. Oh, my thumb hurts. But it's like, no, it really yeah. freaking hurts. And every time I like, you pick up your kid and you put your hand under their, their crotch and you hold them up like that. It's like, oh my God, the end of the day, it's just like, holy shit. Like, and yeah, like just trying to like, type on my computer i'm like why do i feel like i'm 80 years old here <laughs> like yeah it is the worst thing so sorry i just wanted to jump back to that to, to say sarah i need i need your help girl <laughs> um but in uh, in all reality relationship wise yeah that has definitely been um been i would say ups and downs as well like the early days you're kind of in this haze where you don't really know what's going on and whatnot with your partner and you kind of know that each other are there for us and we were just kind of like and with two really my husband never had an opportunity 
to say no <laughs> because, you know, I was outnumbered and I'm like, here, have a baby. And to his full credit, night feedings, we both got up every time and fed the babies together. Um, so having having two babies means both parents step up to the plate for us. And that just really worked because then it wasn't, you know, feed one baby, put them down, feed the next baby, put them down. It was like, okay, how can we do this efficiently as possible? That was our whole modus operandi as parents is efficiency. And so I'm very thankful that he does, um, he was able to, to be home and to be um, that extra set of hands that I needed um, in those early days. And even now still, like carrying two kids to the car, for instance, like they're kind of on the brink of walking right now. They're sort of like toppling and like wobbly on their feet, but it's still pick them up and carry them everywhere. And that is a lot for one person. Um, but in terms of in terms of our relationship, kind of how it's it's changed in our marriage. Um, I would, I would have to say that we're probably in a better place now than we were before, and a few few different reasons for that. Um, like Sarah said, that communications piece. Um, it's forced us to really have some of those tough conversations and to just be really open and honest. And I'm not going to say it's been easy getting here because there were some those early days when I was really struggling with my own anxiety and I couldn't communicate what I was feeling because um, I just felt like I was failing at everything as a mom and as a person. Like I just felt like I could not do a single thing right, even if I was able to, you know, have dinner made and, sh you know, have showered that day, it still felt like a complete failure, which as a mom to, you know, two newborn twins, like that was like the, the most, the best possible situation for me. But I just constantly felt like I was failing. Um, and I can remember vividly, like after a stretch of just like struggle, I was changing a diaper and downstairs in our living room. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed. And I said to Tony, I'm just like, you know, I, I just don't know what's wrong with them. I don't know what's wrong. I, I need to figure out what is wrong with them. And he just like completely stopped. And it was just like, he looked at me and he's like, Kristen, you're not doing anything wrong. Like you are a good mom. You are doing everything that you can. So, you know, this is just outside of our control right now. And it was just kind of a bit of a, a, a reconnection point again to say like, hey, you've got my back. You know, yes, this is hard. This is a struggle right now. You know, we, we want the perfect, you know, the perfect family and the perfect baby. And that was the other thing. Every time, you know, we would meet someone out or, you know, when we would talk about our family, like, oh, you have a boy and a girl. Oh, what a perfect family. And I was like, our family ain't perfect. <laughs> like, this is sure we have the boy and the girl and the golden retriever dog. But let me tell you, there is nothing perfect about this. Um, but I felt like I, I had to like, live up to that standard, right? Like there was just this pressure that like, oh yes, I have the perfect family and I must love my children and have a clean house. And, you know, it took me a lot of time just to be comfortable having toys on the floor. <laughs> and like my my OCD clean cleanliness, like I am a person of minimalism. I don't like clutter. I don't like mess. I don't like, you know, all of that stuff really like I, it, it creates anxiety. I mean, I don't say OCD like in a, a flippant way. Like I seriously have like a, um, 
um, it, it affects me. And so having these two little hurricanes running through my house nowadays, I'm just like, oh my God. But with a lot of communication and, you know, now I look at it very differently with my husband and that we're a team to tackle this. So yeah, the house is a complete disaster during the day. I don't fucking care anymore. You show up to my door. This is what it is. I, you know, take it or leave it, you know, and at the end of the day, we work together um, to get all of those things done. And so the division of responsibilities, like Sarah was saying, um, that was something that had to kind of evolve and we had to talk through that as well. It wasn't something that was just like, you know, at the start, I was just doing everything because that's, you know, how it was before. We have very traditional roles in our marriage and, and I'm okay with that because, you know, he has his strengths and I have mine. We tackle and conquer together. Um, but at the end of the day, when you have nothing left to give and your house is a disaster and the dog needs to be walked and, oh yeah, there's no food in the fridge anymore, well, how are we going to do this? Is it all on me again? Because guess what? I, I can't. I just can't. Um, so those divisions of responsibilities um, have been a, a growing pain of ours. But I think that we're in a good place now where, you know, we, we also openly communicate about it. So after we put the kids to bed at night, our routine is typically one person takes the dog for a walk and one person cleans up um, the dishes and, uh, and the toys in the house. And so oftentimes we'll just, you know, check in with each other be like, which one do you want to do? Do you need time out of the house? Do you want to clean up? You know, just kind of those little things that just kind of, yeah, okay. It's not just assumed that, okay, you're going to take care of all of it. And I'm going to go sit on the couch and watch TV. Um, you know, how you're feeling in that moment too. How can I help out? How can I step up? Um, and what can we do together? So, our, our marriage has definitely shifted and changed and I really am enjoying the phase that we're in now with young toddlers um, because we are able to connect with the kids a lot more and to really like just spending that time, that family time after, after they have a bath, we play up in our loft area and to see my husband, you know, acting goofy and, you know, cuddling with my kids and that sort of stuff that is something that I didn't anticipate just really, um, you know, having like giving me the warm and fuzzies like, oh, you know what, this is this is what it's all worth. This is what this hellish year has all been worth right here, right now. It's the little moments and it's those things where I see him kiss my son on the forehead and then grab him in a bear hug and they both giggle and laugh together like that has really been incredible. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that, um, like Sarah, I've had many friends have babies over the last year, either their first one or multiple additional kids to their family. And a lot of times um, we don't often talk about how motherhood and parenthood changes our marriages. And it's something that I think can be a huge challenge if it's not, you know, going in a positive direction for you. Um, and I've certainly had some conversations with some really close friends that are really struggling right now. And that is a hard thing. And it's not just, yes, becoming a parent, but becoming a, a part of a family unit and your spouse, um, your relationship does change. And you, you again, can't anticipate how it will. Um, but as women, you know, we tend to just kind of um, 
put everybody else first again and and set that aside. And so it is something that I really appreciate that both of you, you know, brought this up in the conversation that we can talk about this because it is an important part and, you know, we we started a family for a reason because we love each other. So is that love still there? And and trying to nurture that and know what's good for you and your family is um, is something that often can get lost in just the chaos of, of this whole first year and, and beyond then. Kristen, one thing I want to add, because when you were talking about that, it made me remember, like I, we were talking about grieving our old selves. And I feel like I also grieved our old relationship in, in the relationship itself, but also like I was his only priority Mm. and now I'm not. And that feels so selfish, Mm -hmm. but that's really how I felt, you know? And not that I was like jealous of my child for taking up love and attention but also like it was just a weird thing to suddenly have to share you know and I think that um when you like have big changes like that like like I was able to tell Zach that you know what I mean but sometimes it took me a while to even realize that that's what I was feeling and so I feel like if you if that kind of sneaks up on you or you're not able to verbalize it in a way that you can get it off your chest and your partner can actually understand and do something about it. I feel like that can eat, eat away at a relationship really quickly. Sarah, I find it interesting because I feel like I felt the reverse of that when our first child was born, because for nine months she had just been mine. It was just me and her and having to share her and have it, I don't know that I've ever felt that lonely in my life as that transition from being able to literally feel her inside my body 24 hours a day to her just being out doing her own thing, you know? And I mean, now she's six, so she's actually like out doing stuff, but just that she could do something without me and just like, and it's weird to be like, that's my baby, give it back. But also like, coupled with the anxiety than to have this feeling of like I am the only person who's known her this whole time and now I just have to share her with like the rest of you like no get your own make your own damn baby I guess that's where Kristen has a has the advantage she had two so she could she could hold on to one and give give the Mm -hmm. other Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) who who's being better behaved right now I'll take that one (laughs) that's the one I want absolutely that 100% I I've always said throughout this last year I love my kids but I don't always like them and whoever I like less in that moment goes to somebody else but Katie I also really felt that as well after the kids and even even more recently too um kind of like a a possessiveness over my kids like I was very like no these are my children and like and it's not that I don't want them to you know um make connections with other people and to you know have their own relationships with my family and that kind of stuff but 
it was almost like I caught myself a couple times and I can't think of a specific instance right now, but I would just feel this overwhelming, like that's my baby. And it was with people who were very close to me in my life. And I'm like, nah, like you, this is mine, give it back. And I like, I just wanted to like keep them for myself. And it was such a weird feeling because coupled with that, I didn't really feel that super, super strong maternalistic, like loving absolutely everything um, idea of, yeah, of my kids. And so that was a, I, I felt that too. And I didn't know how how to understand it until I talked with it about my therapist. And surprise, childhood trauma, um, that kind of stuff starts to come back up. And so part of part of me, yeah, really felt that strongly as well. And I'm still working through it. It's for me when I was really pregnant with our son and. I kept getting told that I was imagining it, and then we caught it on ultrasound, but my son would practice breathe, and he would be far enough up under my diaphragm that I could feel him breathing inside my body. And, like, to be that, literally that close to another person, and then to just let other people share them? No! Which brings me to my next question. Um, Kristen, I know that you had said that you have paid childcare now, and I think Sarah does not, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah, what you were saying about feeling beholden to people if they're, you know, doing you favors by helping with stuff. Um, Kristen, once I've gotten past the worst of the sobbing every time I leave my kids with someone, because why should I have to share them? Um, it's fucking amazing to leave your kids with Mm. somebody who's paid to watch them because Mm. I don't feel bad about it at all. They're getting paid to watch them. This is literally their job. And it's Mm -hmm. such a sense of freedom once you get past the mommy guilt about how they're probably going to spend all day crying and they're probably going to die and God knows what else horrible things are happening that you can just go do your shit and like not have to worry about it and it's incredible so i'm wondering how that sarah's like i'm gonna write down the names of some daycares daycare's fucking expensive (laughs) but worth it i'm wondering how that transition has been for you and arlene were your kids ever in paid child second third fourth besides like i did i mean i guess kind of created a preschool program for them we don't really have preschool here but i found a daycare that would take them of uh, you know like one or two days a week the year before they started kindergarten but for the most part no I was a stay-at-home parent for well I guess our taxes are paying for it um the my oldest no my second all of their first years but our kids start school earlier than than yours do too our and I'm were starting school at three and a half so well depending on their birth dates but yeah ours were ours were in kindergarten at three and a half absolutely not negating being a stay-at-home parent either but as someone who is trying to work with you know work oh, off absolutely farm and i mean children at home there uh, i was it was a choice to be a stay-at-home parent and i was very at that time not working subject. on the farm or a life. very small amount mm-hmm. and when 
uh, for the most part, my job was caring for our kids. I wasn't trying to bring that, and I give lots of credit to the people who, who are doing that too. I mean, there's there's lots of ways to look after our kids, and paid childcare is a great option. Perform a full-time job and look after kids at the same time. And I know that there are families who are doing So I think Katie's question was, how are you feeling about the daycare transition <laughs> at this stage, Kristen, or how is, how is that going? The house is quiet and it is fabulous. <laughs> and I, I am thankful I'm in a place now where I do not feel an inch of guilt in saying that because, um, yeah, the transition itself, I definitely, first of all, we were very fortunate um, to find paid childcare. Um, in Ontario right now, it is very difficult. And I know in lots of other areas, it is very difficult to even and you've find childcare. Um, and I made the mistake of, you know, oh, we'll just figure it out uh, once I've done school. And when I, uh, <laughs> when I decide and two, exactly. And I'm like, there is no freaking way I am driving one to one daycare and one to another. And so I needed to find two spots at the same um, location uh, to care for my children and basically give them all of our money that we'll ever earn. And so, um, yes, we are very fortunate to have found a provider. All of our licensed um, programs, they I think they basically laugh at you now to be like, huh, you think you're good? Like the one was, um, it was a year and a half uh, wait time um, to, to get in. And I think that's actually on the shorter side, unfortunately. So, um, I was a little bit behind the eight ball, but, uh, we have found a provider, uh, for the twins who honestly, I am so incredibly thankful for, uh, she is fantastic. And I have to say I was a little bit freaked out before going uh, to daycare and starting that transition because I had heard um, some horror stories from really close friends about how, you know, their kids just like really struggled, sleep was an issue, everything came back up. It was just like nightmarish. And so going into it, um, we did a little bit of a transition with our provider where we started out kind of like on a part-time basis, but paying full-time for the first month. So that was fun. Um, but uh, just to kind of work the kids up to it, because again, they've spent this whole first year with, you know, us as their primary caregivers. And They'd had a couple, you know, sleepovers at my parents and whatnot, but pretty much with us most of the time. Um, so let alone a stranger. So we brought them to daycare kind of one day, one week, two days the next and yada, yada, yada. And so they've transitioned uh, to full-time care right now. Um, Drop-off is an absolute shit show. Huge tears, big emotions all the time. Even to the point now, we only live about, it's about a seven minute drive, thank God, from our house to uh, our provider. Um, but now when I put my daughter in her car seat, she starts to do the little sniffle and I'm like, Ellie, don't you dare. <laughs> so we pump the music, we, you know, sing songs on this, on our seven minute drive to kind of like get them all excited. And then I drop them off there, they scream their heads off and I leave. And um, yeah, it's been um, very good for myself um, to have that break. And I didn't really 
really anticipate how good it would feel um, because up until then it was typically you know people would come over and they watch the kids at the house and I would still be doing stuff so they were always within the vicinity right like I'd always could still hear them or I'd be yeah run out to the grocery store do some errands and then come home and they're still here but actually being home without them here is like the best treat ever <laughs> so and it just feels like it's grown up time as a, as a mom who works from home and has two kids who come home from daycare do you find that yeah. your anxiety spikes when the noise level goes back through the roof or your kids not i mean two of them at a year old i assume they're pretty damn loud yeah. by now right because it's, mm-hmm. it took me the mm-hmm. longest time to oh, figure yes. out why my anxiety went through the roof at five o'clock every night. And it's, yeah. Have yeah. you found any routines or anything that have made that transition easier? Yeah. I'm, yes. I'm legit so asking I definitely for myself feel at like this it. point because I'm still not really mm-hmm. figured this out. And mm-hmm. it's. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's hard to go from that, yeah, kind of, like, grown-up quiet time to just, like, all-out chaos in, like, the matter of a open the door and broom, here they are, um, little hurricanes. Um, The, what I've started doing, so my husband does pick up um, at night, and um, first of all, I send a snack with him in the car so that they're not hungry little gremlins when they get home because I don't know how much they've eaten throughout the day. Like, you know, I can't control that. So I make sure they have a snack so they're not hangry when they get home. Um, And um, typically around that time, I'm starting to kind of prep dinner. So I'm downstairs in our kitchen and living room area. And what I do is just to kind of start to acclimatize myself to the volume is I turn the TV on and I just have like something playing in the background or turn the radio on and just kind of like try to like be moving around and whatnot and prepare myself like, okay, the kids are coming home. Uh, And, you know, just kind of like start to increase the volume level so that when they do come in, it's not like like zero to a hundred all in the matter of like a, a few seconds. Um, because it, it, that was a transition, especially before I figured out the snack trick, um, was that they would come home and they would sit on the kitchen floor and just like scream. And I'm like, did you have a bad day? Are you hurt? Like, what's going on? Like, can I help you? Meanwhile, I've got like hot supper on the oven, like on the stovetop trying to figure that out and two screaming kids and my husband's, you know, bringing in all their shit from the day. And I'm just like, oh my God, what is going on? Um, That took a little bit of, you know, understanding like, oh, okay, you're hungry. Like, let's just make sure your basic needs are met. Okay, let's, (laughs) yeah, once we got that covered, um, that was okay. And we also, so my kids are still young enough now um, that they do nap twice a day still. So um, I've also found it, um, if I don't know how they've napped through the day, I don't know how to structure our nighttime routine uh, to make sure that they're not overtired. And so sleep for me throughout the whole twin, like throughout since the twins were born, um, sleep has been a priority for them. Like if they're not sleeping well, um, you know, figuring out their wake windows and all of that was really Um, something that I had no idea about before becoming a mom, but uh, quickly (laughs) read all of the the blogs and the the experts' advice and stuff. And so part of managing my anxiety is understanding how their day has gone. Have they had enough rest? Have they eaten enough? Um, And then I can kind of tweak that 
nighttime routine to try to make it as enjoyable as possible for all of us because I don't want to deal with, you know, little gremlins at night because that just sets me off too. The other thing I've found that has been a huge help is those loop earplugs that just decrease the decibels by quite a bit because especially our kids still tend to take baths together, which is great, you know, and yes, they're a boy and a girl, but they're little, they don't care. Um, but we have a very small bathroom, and when they start screaming in there, it mm. is every fight-or-flight instinct that my body possesses is just noping out. And so the the earplugs, huge. Um, Sarah, real quick, I'm gonna it that says out. that Riverside, you have other tabs open with Riverside in them. It just wants you to, cl- it just wants you to close other tabs. I guess I wouldn't worry about it then. If it wants something, it'll figure it out later. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah, I don't know how... I still have it. I I can't find the other tab. Maybe you're in her other tab, Arlene. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, so Sarah, we did a baby shower episode with you was any of what we said helpful and feel free to tell us no if it wasn't like i'd rather not give people terrible advice yes Uh, no a lot of it A lot of it was super helpful. So um, we had talked about like baby wearing. That was really helpful. Um, And either like stick to a schedule or read their cues, kind of do both and figure out what works for you. And so I um, kind of like watched her cues and then that quickly worked into a pattern. So I like to say like I'm not a schedule person but we have a rhythm to our day and it's pretty consistent day to day um with that being said also like doing a few different things every once in a while has been really helpful too because then like if she skips a nap we skip a meal we eat early we eat late it's kind of no big deal she's good with some change and I think that that's good too because um my my sister is one who like hates a change in the schedule and like I need kids who are going to be flexible so um that was really good advice um somebody had said um uh to keep your vacuum in the living room then you can say oh it's just gonna vacuum that is solid solid advice um crabs need water right like if they're crabby take them outside or put them in the bathtub still do that that is that is great great advice um somebody said to give them a bottle every once in a while so that way they will um take a bottle like when you have to leave and that was again really helpful i started leaving her um just for like a couple hours at a time pretty early and so that was really helpful too then she would take a bottle and um that turned out to be really really great because then there was no like hesitation for her um also i tried kind of got her 
on like one different kind of bottle, but then switch. So she would take like multiple different um, types of bottles, nipples, temperature of milk, which was really helpful too, just to get her used to a little bit of change in variety. So um, yeah, that was there was a lot of great advice in there, uh, a lot of helpful helpful tidbits. Of course. No, all the time. You saw all the time. I'm glad that we said something useful. Or that other people said something useful, I guess. I know, you know, I mean, there are kids who are less able to hang, just like there are adults who are less flexible. But I do think that anything you can do to encourage any and all members of your family to be even slightly more chill than they are naturally as someone who is not chill by nature um, is helpful. So for both of you, what's been the best part so far? I think watching her discover new things is so much fun. So much fun. Like just like, the first time I put her in the grass, it was, like, warm, the snow had melted, and watching her, like, discover grass and sunshine, not, like, discover sunshine, but, like, just feel, like, warmth outside and discover grass and, like, look at flowers. I took her to the butterfly house and, like, just to watch her amazement looking at all the butterflies is really, really cool. And I remind myself often that, like, I have to slow down in order to catch those moments, but it's so worth it. So do it. Slow down, catch those moments, and be sure to keep that a priority because there might be 400 million in a day and that can get annoying, but also, um, you know, I think that that is, that's what it's all about. And so that's been really my favorite part, I think. Amazing. Yeah, I guess for me, um, having the twins, um, you know, I, I joked earlier on uh, that it's a bit of a psychology experiment having two kids at once. Um, but really watching their bond um, has been something that's been really special for me as a mom. Um, and also as someone who grew up with a big family, um, this is the end of our family. We are not planning to have any more kids. Um, we're, you know, one and one and done, one pregnancy and two kids and done. Um, but really watching them um, kind of discover each other, see their differences at the same time, and then getting to be a kid again, like getting to play. I think as adults, we don't, you know, you, you reach a certain age and you just kind of, you know, you don't get that childish um, excitement anymore in life. And you just are so focused on the realities of life because, yes, we have to be, but you know, the times when we just get to play with our kids and sometimes, you know, going to the park. Um, we went to the park on the weekend and as a kid, that was not something on the farm that we ever did because we stayed on the farm because there was work to do. You could play on the farm. You did that. Um, but just really, you know, getting to go to a park with your kids, um, that's something that's really special that I didn't anticipate, but that really are those small moments that Sarah said that happen so many times in a day that pausing and just feeling that gratitude and that gratefulness has really given me a lot of of good feelings about parenting.
I find the unmute on this program takes so much longer. Anyway, so I'm stealing Katie's usual like question, but I switched order. it up Arlene, since we already asked both question? of you what you would dominate at the county fair. I'm now going to ask, say it's like the baby show or, you know, like the junior category. Sarah, what would your baby dominate at the county fair? Um, 100% a cat show. Okay. This kid loves our cat. And I remember my sister showed a cat at the county fair and we we're all kind of like, how do you show a cat? Like, what is this all about? And you like pet it's for backward, pet it's for, or pet it's for the right way, pet it's for the wrong way, stretch out its belly, stretch out its tail. Scout's got that dumb pat. Like, her and the cat just cuddle and snuggle, and she's constantly like messing up its fur and then petting it back down, messing up its fur, petting it back down. So, um, she would, she would be the cat show, cat show girl. Not sure, uh, she would be very good at the cat show. Um, but she's all about, all about the cat. <laughs> that is great. And then the, she'd be around, be around other cats too. So that she'd be yeah, her glory. hundred <laughs> percent. So Kristen, what are your, what are your babies going to, uh, dominate? Yeah. So the twins, um, they're both very, very different. So being a boy and a girl, it's amazing how you can start to see the differences in gender so early on um, with like very little input, right? Like I, that's something that's also kind of amazed me. Um, but for Ellie, for our girl, um, she is just the spiciest little thing in life. And so I think she would just, yeah, she's got lots of attitude, um, is not afraid to just like let all of her emotions out. Um, so definitely if there was a category, a 4-H category for spiciness, I think that's her to a T. Um, and I really hope um, being a woman that she takes that with her in life and that it does not get muted in life because I know so many times we are influenced by society and all of those pressures as women um, that if I do one thing right as a mother, I hope that I foster and nurture that characteristic within her. Um, our little boy, Knox, he is just such a little tinkerer and curious mind very similar to my husband uh, in that way. And so I can just see him like, he's just so interested in how things are, you know, how things work and figuring it out and taking things apart and putting it back together. And you can kind of just see like the little gears working in his, in his brain. And so whatever that, you know, that manifests in him in terms of his passions and his, uh, and his uh, desires in life. I hope that that kind of takes him forward. Um, and as parents, we, my husband and I talk a lot about um, trying not to impose, you know, our love and hobbies and whatnot onto our children. And I think in agriculture, you know, we want our kids to be like, oh, we want them to farm and all of this so much. So, um, but we really, we talk very openly about trying to give them other experiences other than, you know, what we want them to do. Um, and so, so as a parent, I just really hope to facilitate that and to to let them grow and find their own passions in life. That's a hard one, right? Because it's like, oh, they're so cute and they would be so cute doing this thing that I love and then we could enjoy it together. But yeah, fostering what they really love too yeah. is, is a hard balance as they get older. 
Um, before I move into our cussing and discussing section, I just didn't know if either of you had any other reflections on listening back to your episodes or things that you uh, laughed at yourself for saying or anything else you wanted to comment on before we move into the to wrapping up the show. Sarah, was there anything that... The uh, only thing is, I think that it remains important to laugh at ourselves and how we thought things would be. (laughs) Yeah. I I would definitely, yeah, echo that. Absolutely. You know, you think things are going to go one way and if becoming a parent has taught you anything, it's going to be the complete 180 to that. I would absolutely echo your sentiments there, Sarah. (laughs) And I, I even, uh, I didn't include it with the questions here because we've been, we've been talking a lot, but that was, I quoted Katie, I think it was in Kristen's episode saying, nothing will go how you expected, but it'll all be fine. So that's kind of the summary of today, right? Nothing went exactly as you expected, but it was, it was still fine. So we'll go into our usual cussing and discussing segment. So for listeners, if you want to submit yours, go to the show notes and go to our speak pipe or the email and you can send us your cussing and discussing. Katie, do you want to start? What's your cussing and discussing for today? I will. And this is actually my parenting advice for you guys for the next, well, until next year when we do this again and talk about all the things that have been bizarre in the the last year. Second year. There will come a day. Yeah. There will come a day when you will have the perfect gift for your child or the perfect experience. You will have come up with something that is like the manifestation of everything that is right and good in your child's world. And you will be so excited and you will give it to them. And they will not give a flying fuck about whatever this thing is, no matter how... I could bring home a live unicorn at this point and feel fairly sure that the girl child would go, I wanted a pink one. And it's not even being bratty, which is what I grew up thinking it was, but that they have such a strong mind about what is the right thing to do and the right way to do it, that any deviation from that just... It's close, but it's not good enough. And I know, like, we all joke about kids playing with the box instead of with the toy. And that's, that's like, the first step. But then they will just... I'm trying to remember what it was that I brought one of the kids last week. Just so sure that it would, like, lead to a tearful meltdown of gratitude for my bringing them into a world so perfect that this this experience would exist in it. And my kid was just like, oh... Yeah, or you take them. Yeah, you take and them somewhere, and they've had a have... fantastic day, but they drop their ice cream, and that's the only thing they remember. Like you've you had you had almost the perfect experience, even if you know you brought them somewhere, and it and it was it was the thing you had the experience you wanted, but the only thing they remember is that bad moment where they dropped something, or somebody stepped on their toe, or you know the the animal at the zoo that they wanted to see turned the wrong way, and it's like. Could we like? Can we focus on the other things? But, but sometimes we as adults and do it, the same. I, I think suppose. a lot of my my cussing about it is that it brings out the most. There are starving children in Africa <laughs> yeah, who would love yeah. to have this toy unicorn thing in myself. You know, that's just like 
I yeah, know better because that doesn't that. make them feel more grateful. Still. No, it just makes them mad. Which <laughs> anyway. Um, Sarah, what do you have to cuss and discuss this week? There is something getting into my chicken coop, and I don't know what it is. They have killed 11 chickens over the last three days, and I keep, like, fortifying it more and more every day. And every day, there's just more dead chickens. And it just, I just don't know what to do, and I can't figure out how they're getting in. And I just want to, like, hook up a 12-volt battery to the fence and be like try to get in now, you know, and just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, for the life of me, cannot figure out what to do. We've put cameras up. The cameras don't catch anything. And we have like green kind of around the chicken coop. So the cameras can't actually see into the chicken coop. So I think I need to move my cameras, but, uh, it's something weird. I don't know what it is. We, I thought it was a big raccoon underneath of it, underneath like the house that could go up into the run. Um, but I blocked that off and I still have dead chicken. So I don't know. I don't know what it is and it's driving me crazy. What, uh, what kind of damage are they doing? So sometimes the heads are ripped off and sometimes not. Sometimes the guts are eaten out and sometimes not. They're sometimes ripped apart, um, like leg over here, body over here, but not always. Um, They have eaten um, quite a bit of the meat, but then also like I have probably close to 15 that I just have no idea where they're at. So that made me think that they're pulling it under the coop that I, like, can't get to. So yesterday we put a smoke bomb under the coop and, like, nothing came out. So then I fenced in underneath the coop and put rocks all the way around it. So, like, if there's something getting in under there, like, they're stuck under there now, but then they were still dead ones this morning. So, I don't know. We caught a raccoon and a possum in the last two days, or, like, two days ago and three days ago, but then this morning, there were still dead ones. So, like, there's something else. Something else going on in there. So, here's my, my three thoughts on this. This has just become an advice segment instead. One, I was having a similar issue. I put those long electric fence insulators as like four inch ones with wire about six inches off the ground and hooked it up to a two mile battery. Uh, that'll slow down anything bigger by a lot. Two, it's entirely possible that you have a weasel that's killing them and a raccoon that's eating them. Um, because weasels can get in anywhere, but raccoons do a lot more physical damage. And three, Join the Barnyard Language Facebook group and go ask Ryan Marquardt because Ryan will tell you more about ways that chickens can die than you ever wanted to know. He's a high school friend who has apparently made quite a study of things that kill chickens, and he has excellent advice. And for anyone else who uh, needs advice on dead chickens or, or parenting, really anything else, you should also go join <laughs> dead chickens and parenting or parenting. I will do all three of those. So thank you, Katie, for that tidbit of knowledge. Interesting that it could be two things because, yeah, sometimes the heads are off. So that made me think it was like a weasel or a mink or something like that. Um, But not always, you know? Yeah. So, Kristen, do you have any uh, non-chicken related? I do. (laughs) We do not own any chickens. Um, But... uh, 
Um, we are battling the um, onset of an another teething phase with the twins. So that has been a fucking nightmare. We went through a really good, so my son has eight teeth and my daughter has six. And now she's gotten some more bottom ones. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. Yeah, she is, I say I love her spiciness, but it's also like, can, can be like, I don't want to call her dramatic because I don't like that um, descriptor of women, but she like, you know, notches she it She lets up. you know how she feels. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which I mean, in all fairness, getting teeth is not a fun thing for anybody. Like I do not blame her for that. She did not choose to not be born with teeth and then get them, you know, pushed into her mouth. Um, whoever decided that this was how kids should have, should get teeth and then fall out and then get some more. I really want to set up a meeting with them and have, have a little discussion um, because it is just a nightmare for everyone. There's um, so much drama about around teeth for so many years. Yeah, because they, yeah. They, then they finally get them all and then they start to lose them. And then there's all the drama of like, oh, well, I can't eat because I have a wiggly tooth. And you can't brush my teeth because I have a wiggly tooth. And then yeah. I lost my tooth and the tooth fairy forgot three nights in a row. Which oh. is that minus. <laughs> yeah. And then like, God forbid. Like... Our tooth fairy finally just bought toys, yeah. Arlene. The tooth fairy said, I don't want you to have to hold on to this loose money, so I'm just going to buy some toys, and that'll be your tooth fairy money. So, like, one toy, and then they're done for all the rest so. of their teeth? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. see, that's the thing, because the teeth last forever. I've got oh, four yeah. kids multiplied by however many teeth fall out, right? So it's that's just like you never know when someone's... And as they get older, they don't always tell you or complain about the loose teeth, which is great. But then I've got an older kid who loses a tooth and then I still feel like I need to give them money so that the younger one still believes. So then it's like, yeah. Oh, by the way, there's a tooth. I left it on the counter. I have taken the teeth out of the bedroom. There's no sneaking into bedrooms. The teeth in our house go on the, go on the kitchen counter behind the sink. And that's where the tooth fairy leaves money because I'm not sneaking in anyone's room. That is. I'm going to take that and hide that in my back pocket. <laughs> That's yeah, smart. Yeah, for, don't talk about pillows or anything in the bedroom. Yeah, it doesn't. The, the tooth fairy can just come right in and any part of the house. Love it. So I guess mine is tooth fairies. But my other cussing and discussing was... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. You were going to ask me eventually. I, totally just, I, was, I was just trying to think as much as I hate sneaking into the kids' rooms... I feel like this is my secret shame as a big, tough farm mom. I am so grossed out by fingernail clippings, hair clippings, mm. and teeth that the idea of finding teeth on my kitchen counter, <laughs> I kind of oh. want to die just thinking about it. I've got one there right now. Want to come over? <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> just trying to make her gag. You could make it a bathroom counter or like uh, the shop sink or something like yeah, that. There's, so it's not there's been gross things. Yeah, there's yeah. gross things in my kitchen a lot of the time. So you wouldn't be one of those people that makes that like old, the other... like you've seen those like gross pictures of like tooth jewelry, you know, like that people made. Uh... <laughs> no, everyone's gagging. I read a I read a book a few years ago by the the same author who wrote Gone Girl that involves a dollhouse decorated with teeth. <laughs> and I just did you stop I, reading? Yeah, no. See, see, there's not going to be any 
I was probably fine with That's teeth terrible. before that. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Oh man. Well, anyway, Katie, I do have a yeah, as as kids on the dairy farm. We used to when we were like little tots and uh, would play in like the feed bunk and stuff like that. We would often find cows. The teeth. cow teeth. Yeah. And oh, and we went to school. We would bring them in the house and my mom would find them. And now thinking about it, it totally like grosses me out. But we thought it was the coolest thing ever because they were massive teeth. Yeah, like, they're oh so big. God, yeah. Like a dinosaur. But yeah, the thought of it yeah. now, if my children do that, I that I am stopping that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it. I have a shed snake skin in the middle of our dining room table right now. I have a mummified bat in the china cabinet. Like animal teeth? fine it's just humans okay so but you can't handle a kid tooth in your kitchen (laughs) humans man humans okay anyway what else do you have or was that it (laughs) so the one i was actually thinking of during our multi-hour long conversation was that i love doing this podcast because we get to meet so many amazing people but we live too far apart and I want this conversation to like extend over like dinner and maybe a glass of wine and to not have to drive all the way to Michigan to meet Sarah someday. But anyway, I just want to thank you both ladies for joining us today and for being so open and honest. And these are exactly the kinds of conversations that we wanted to have when we started this podcast. So thank you for coming back and thank you for uh, supporting us and building community and being honest about the way the journey is going. And Sarah, do you want to just remind people where they can find you? Because you also have a podcast that people can listen to. Absolutely. First off, thank you guys for having me. This has been so much fun. If you ever are in Michigan, uh, look me up and I'll do the same if I'm up toward your direction. Um, So thank you guys. My podcast is called Throwing Wrenches, Mending Fences. And you can follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Pinterest, all the places um, at the same name. So throwing wrenches, mending fences. And again, thank you guys. This has been so much fun. And Kristen, it's been fun to chat about our babes. <laughs> yes. And uh, Sarah actually does some pretty funny stuff on TikTok. I'm not a huge, uh, Sarah or Katie and I have failed miserably on doing anything on TikTok. Um, but Sarah is hilarious. And so you should definitely follow her there and all the other places. Um, Kristen, if people want to get in touch with you, where should they find you? Yeah, for sure. I also just want to say a huge thank you to both of you. And also, congratulations. Like, what an amazing thing that you're continuing to do this. I think that this is such an amazing community that you've built. I love uh, tuning in and connecting with all kinds of diversity. Like, I think you guys just do such a good job of covering a vast Um, array of topics and featuring people that really are the stories that need to be heard. Um, So thank you so much for that. And thank you for the opportunity to join you again. It's been a pleasure. Um, I am mostly an Instagram uh, user these days. uh, So you can find me just my name, Kristen Kelderman um, over there. And um, yeah, just kind of focusing on mental health, but also sharing some of those parenting struggles along the way and uh, some cute pics of my dog as well. So that's where I am. Thank you both so much. This was a great conversation. And uh, yeah, like Katie said, maybe we'll meet up again in a year. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show.
Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.